This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Guys, it's Dale Jr. We're back again for another Dale Jr. download. He, Mike, Matthew's shaking his head because he hates this introduction. Well, Mike Davis is on vacation, so he's not here. You're not going to hear him today. So all you Mike Davis fans, turn off the <laughs> podcast now. But all the Kelly Earnhardt fans, keep listening. Oh, she's That's back. right. She's back. I brought Kelly in, I did not too. as a guest, but she's the co-host, man. You know why? Because we got a great guest today, Haley Deegan. Yes. And she's a race car driver, and I thought, who better to help me interview her than my own sister? Oh, man. You see all these gloves? I do see all these you see gloves. Them? <laughs> do you know why they're laying here? I do know why they're laying here. I'm well, so why don't we tell everybody? Yeah. All right. So there's 55 drivers that are going to be participating in this gloves program this year. We did this last year, but this year we got 31 cup drivers, 24 Xfinity drivers. They're signature skeleton design gloves featuring the colors of the Nationwide Children's Hospital. That's right. Yep. Of the Nationwide Children's Hospital logo. They'll be worn during the Kentucky Race Weekend. Last year, I think they wore them during the Watkins, Watkins Glen race. Yeah. Chase yeah. Elliott won the race. He had the gloves. They went for a high bid. They it did. was awesome. Everybody else's gloves went high because we started high. <laughs> well, I hope they go just as high, and we're going to start low. All right, this year. great, so great. Listen to that, fans. We're starting low. How low are we going to start? We're going to start at thirty dollars this year. Man. <laughs> Does that make you happy? So, yes, it makes me happy because last year when we did this gloves program, that was the one thing everybody was saying on my Twitter timeline was the gloves started too high. So let's start them low. So that's it, fans. They're going to be at thirty bucks. Gloves are autographed by each driver and myself. They'll be auctioned on 7-12 through 7-19. What, what month is that? July. July? Okay. July. I don't know the month's numbers except for October. 10. Really? Number 10. Number 10 is Aubrey James. <laughs> 7-12. So that's July, folks. <laughs> July 12th through the July 19th. <laughs> the glove auction site is www.nascarfoundation.org slash Dale Jr. .org slash Dale Jr. Org. Org. Slash Dale Jr. <laughs> Org. The Org. bid starts at Org. 30 bucks. All proceeds are going to benefit the Dale and Amy Earnhardt Fund at the Nationwide Children's Hospital, which supports pediatric injury rehabilitation, research, and prevention. And so there's this hospital needs these funds to be able to do this research, and we've already raised over a million dollars for this fund. They've already put some of that money into uh, researching ways to uh, to do things differently and better. Uh, there, there's this one program where they use dogs in some of the rehabilitation of these kids, and they're they're uh, researching how to improve that process, how to how to do a better job of active, you know, use, actively using these dogs in the rehabilitation uh, for these kids. So it's it's you know training the dogs and so forth. So anyhow, this money is really going. To, uh, to to get put to some great use. Again, starting low for you fans, man. I know they're going to be so happy. They're going to be so thankful. They are going to be happy. Last year's program raised over $50,000. Another thing, too, man, I want to make sure that we thank all the drivers. All yes. right? Because not only are they doing us a great service by wearing these gloves, but it you know it's a skeleton glove. Maybe they don't like skeletons. <laughs> Maybe there's some drivers out there that don't like this design. They're scared. Just don't like the design. 
or don't like new gloves. You know, you break your gloves in. I would break in a pair of gloves and never want to put on a new pair the rest of the year. Once they, it's like a pair of shoes. You break them in. You, it's still sh- good. Yeah. Who, who, new shoes blister and and not, not comfortable. <laughs> but not these gloves. But So breaking in a new pair of gloves, they'll be good after the first practice. Any requests, we'll just break them in for them. Yeah. I'm so thankful for the drivers. They're doing us awesome. All of us, I say us, all the drivers have initiatives, programs. Everybody is equally happy to jump on board and do whatever it is they need. Uh, and, and, and in this case, the drivers are going to bat. I'm loving it. Going to help a lot of people. What else you want to talk about, Kelly? Well, how's your week? A- how's your, yeah, go, go get a topic. Well, I mean, let's talk about Chicago. You're Chicago. back in the booth. Yes. Yeah. So we're back. Uh, NBC's back covering NASCAR. Uh, I was nervous about just, you know, I, I wasn't nervous like last year. Last year it was really <laughs> bad nervous. This year I was excited, looking forward to it. I wasn't nervous on TV. I wasn't nervous during the race. Were you nervous when you were about to get blown away? Uh, I was nervous when the <laughs> when the storm came. The Where did broom, you sit during the storm? In the booth. You did? Yeah, oh. and it was moving and shaking. Ooh, yeah. yeah, it was pretty scary. And and we were pretty high up there, really yeah. close to the clouds. Yeah. Could hear the thunder was a little louder uh, <laughs> up there, up there close to it. So I have the funniest story. Um, we went to... Oh, you were there. Yeah, well, Kelly, you were in town as well. We were. And so I went up, me and L-Dub and uh, Carson Wyatt went to Seadale up on the sixth. It was the sixth floor of the tower, okay? Yeah. Well, apparently, our, our suite, our little ticket said Suite 600, but on the little lineup in the elevator, it did not say Suite 600. It just said Floor 6, you know, broadcast. So I say to the lady at the elevator stand, you know, do we go to the sixth floor that says 600? She said, yes, ma'am. So we go up there and we get off and we are like two security guard, women security guards get us off the elevator. And she's like, uh, 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 um, where are you going? And um, I said, well, we, our passes here say sweet 600. It's supposed to be on this level. <sighs> okay. Let me just tell you guys, there are some very important steps out here. You do not go up those steps. The spotters are on this stand, and if you climb those steps and go to those spotters, you are likely to cause a distraction, and that can cause a very serious accident out on the racetrack. My goodness. <laughs> wow. It was your first, it was, must be your first time I wanted to laugh so hard, but I was trying to take her serious, you know, and I'm thinking in my head, yeah, I got, I mean, and it was the day of the Xfinity race. And so I'm like, yeah, I got four cars out there racing. I get it. I know it. I know the spotters, you know. And, um, and so we were walking, she had to escort us to our little oh. um, place oh so gosh. that we wouldn't climb the stairs, I guess. And, uh, and so she's like, uh, you guys. I said, she said, they just don't let anyone up here. And I said, yeah, we're special. And she said, yeah, you must be very special. <laughs> so we were going in the booth next door to see Dale. So we went, went and seen him do his thing. Oh, yeah, what did cool. you think about that? Well, your your folks said that you were very relaxed and that you did a good job. But it's really, um, it's similar to like the radio stuff I do for Sirius. So you've got all your times and your breaks and all that kind of stuff, you know, and you've got people telling you what to do. But it amazes me that um, I like to do things when I'm looking at the person like me and you. I wouldn't want to be, you know, yeah, in, yeah. A, in a separate room yep. speaking to you. And it amazes me that they're doing their booth calling with Jeff and Rick, in this case, this past weekend, in one booth, and Dale and Steve in another. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it sounds so cohesive, you know. And um, so I think it was neat. Yeah. Was neat. yeah. Man, I'm going to tell you, I know I didn't get a chance to – it's so different too because you just you hear everything flow on the TV. You're watching the action, and so it's together. And when I was watching you, I couldn't see the action, 
and just listening to you talk about what you were talking about, it just is, it's more separated up there, I guess, from my viewpoint. And it's just amazing that it all comes together. I know. <laughs> it's amazing to me that you have time to tweet during your He'll always find time. breaks. Oh, yeah. Like, I, my phone would go off. Dale Jr. tweeted. I was like, oh, my gosh, how is he doing all of this? I know. It amazes me, too. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, so, I'm so amazing. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you, Kelly, I didn't get a chance to really talk to y'all uh uh, but that meant the world to me for you to, you to see it, for LW to see it, and you brought everybody up there. Uh, meant a lot to me. You helped me, um, you know, you've helped me get in that position and put myself in that position to be able to broadcast and gave me the confidence to go do it. And you were one of the, you were in my corner all the time. And uh, so I've, you know, to, to take you or Amy or anybody up there so they can just yeah. see what's going on uh, means a lot to me. It's not rocket science. You're not seeing something that's going to blow your mind, but uh, certainly that support is is appreciated. Uh, the race was great. I couldn't believe what I saw. We had uh, like 12 laps of green flag for it. We got some weather, and those 12 laps were insane. And it was kind of it was kind of like uh, sitting down to eat and being hungry, and somebody letting you take a bite <laughs> of something really good, like Chipotle sandwich, and then taking it away. Yeah. And I was like, dog on it. I'm going to wait. I can't wait for that. But the race started back up, uh, and it continued to be great. We had uh, – the restarts are awesome because the guys – the guys, uh, you know, the, the restarts are, are wild, and they the, the, the intensity stays there for several laps. It doesn't just dissipate after the first couple of corners. And another thing that I found just really strange that I'm going to have to continue to clue in on and figure out why that happens is, for example, at the end of the race – you know, Kyle Larson passed our the winner, and then he, you know, uh, Bowman passed him back. How did he? I was so impressed with right? that. Right? Yeah. Yes. Um, so there impressed. were moments in the race where so Harvick's leading, and and he look, appears to be driving away, and then next thing you know, they four, you know, the top five are within a second and a half of each other, and then it looks like you know. Larson's passing for third, and looks like he's going to drive on up to the lead, and then then. You know, he fades, or I thought Jimmy was struggling, and then next thing you know, Jimmy's battling for the lead. It just, I couldn't, the coming and going of each individual car every four or five laps was really surprising. Yeah. But that uh, makes it exciting. For I know, fans, but for sure. But so, yes. So Jimmy was sitting there running behind Harvick, and I'm like, oh, Jimmy's running Harvick down. Jimmy's got the better car. Then for the next four laps, Harvick drove away from him and put like 20 car links on him. And then Jimmy's falling into the clutches of the rest of the top five, and he fell all the way back to fourth. And I'm like, oh, Jimmy's, Jimmy's struggling maybe. His car's not good. And then Jimmy drove back up to second, and then he was in 20 car And then he's like 20 car lengths away from Harvick again. I'm like, how did that happen? Like, what's going on? I need to talk to these drivers, understand sort of that ebb and flow and, and, and how a car comes and goes like that because – it must be some of the draft. I'm not really sure if guys are sort of pedaling and not trying to keep, you know, trying not to wear their tires out. I love it. Uh, the tire situation yesterday was really interesting. Um, that's what I like uh, in a race is when the tires, you have to manage the tires, yeah. right? Yeah, I agree with that. The t- we had the weather and that washed all the rubber off. So uh, that put, that brought the tire wear, skyrocketed the tire wear on that first run. And uh, we saw some guys have some issues. And it became part of the strategy. It became 
not a concern, but something to think about and something to manage. Yep. And I love any kind of, you know, I love any kind of challenges or things like that put into the driver's hands. Uh, and so that, I wish that was the way our tires performed every week. We have some tires that are bulletproof yeah. at, at some tracks. You just In some tracks, you just can't wear the tire out. It's more about heat and so forth. But that was fun. That was fun to watch. And we had an awesome race all the way through. Uh, again, thanks to Kyle Larson for the most part. He put on a hell of a show last year and, and again this year. Came up short again. But we saw Alex Bowman win his first race. Kelly, you've been involved in his career as I have. Uh, his, he's raced here for us at Junior Motorsports. That had to feel good for you on a personal level to, ha- to know that you had a role in him getting his opportunities um so talk about that a little bit yeah I just I love to see uh I love to see the emotion that was within Alex I know he was trying really hard not to cry on national television yeah. <laughs> you could tell that uh he didn't want to go there but um it was real and natural and uh just with the announcement um with Nationwide leaving their team and him finishing second so many times and mm-hmm. Greg and I just know how hard it is and and how hard uh, each and every week it is to win and Hendrick really needed that win was great for Alex uh, and to see that and uh, I was wondering like I mean I know how much his grandmother and his dad played a role in where he's gotten to and um, just thinking about the emotions there for him and and because family's so important so um, it was it was awesome yeah yeah so there was a point in his career, I tweeted about it last night, where uh, he found out that he had lost his ride with Tommy Baldwin on Twitter. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember know, that. Yeah. And six months later, he was helping me yeah. as I was uh, needing uh, some help in, in, in the Cup Series as I was out with injury. And um, it's just weird how things work out. He, he would come here and run a handful of races. That's all we could put together. That's all the, that, you know, he would, he, much like we do with other drivers here on the eight car this year, he yep. would have. He would have the funding and some partners willing to do X amount, and every time he was in our cars, I was impressed. Before he got in our cars, he was with another pro- program in the Xfinity Series, and he would qualify on the pole, and I just knew, like, man, this guy's fast. He has a speed, and he seems to get more out of his car or at least get everything out of his car. That's all you can ask out of a driver. Not every driver is that way. Um, some drivers... Uh, you got it. Car's got to be perfect. Yeah. You know, and he just, you knew when he was out on the track that there's no question that's all the car has. And we went to Phoenix one time with him driving our car. And I, it was actually the race where Chase Elliott wrapped up the championship. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting in the, on Chase Elliott's box down in the middle of turns one and two. And I watched Alex run turn one and two every single lap. And I'm going I'm to tell you, he was, he was not, he was within three inches of his line every single lap and he ran great he ran up in a top 10 top five and he was just so smooth perfect never never slid the back never overdrove the the entry and pushed he never was making mistakes and he was running as well as any of our other cars and uh i was just like man this guy i think he can do it i think if he'd gotten some really you know gotten a really good opportunity in the cup series that he would make the most of it you know and obviously they struggled for a couple years I think Alex was wondering what you know yeah. what's happening. Is it him? Is it is this going to work out? Is this going to be a failure? Is this going to be disappointing? Well, they put all that to bed yesterday yeah. with this win. Look at Hendrick Motorsports. All four cars in the top ten. We've been talking. I've had the unfortunate situation and position of 
telling the truth uh, when I'm in the booth. Chevrolet has been struggling. The new Camaro has not been performing on the Cup Series. Hendrick's been struggling. Yet everything turned upside down. They're turning it around. Yep. Oh, they did. Yep. I mean, they turned it down, turned around for one week, <laughs> right? Can't win them all, but looks like they've got it going in the right direction. They Big found something up. that might work yep. going forward, and that that's an attract that, in my mind, is very similar to Homestead. And if you know, if any track's similar yeah, to Homestead, it's can. Fontana, you know, Chicago, and so forth. And so that bodes well for those guys. Uh, if they can put themselves in position to be one of the four at Homestead, either one of the Hendrick teams or any of the Chevrolets for that matter. But it's just good to see a Chevrolet run well. Obviously, in my heart, I've got a connection to HMS, so it was great to see those guys have success. I did not see them having a great – you know, I didn't see them in the picture as the weekend started in practice. I know Alex had great cars. I thought, well, Alex probably finished second again. <laughs> and it looked like there with a few laps to go when Larson went by, yeah. but that was what was going to happen. Yeah. But, man, he dug down. I, th- I said it on the broadcast. I said, it'll be interesting to see if he can put some put something together. I mean, we've seen it all, all race long where, man, you think a guy's taking the lead and he's going to drive away, and all of a sudden he's getting another battle. The guy he just passed is on his quarter panel. Like, yeah. how, what the heck? And he was aggressive when he yeah. came back to And him. all of that lap traffic, too. I mean, yeah. they were, you know. Oh, the, the lap traffic was frustrating was for terrible. everybody. But yeah. it was just great, man. I enjoyed it. Got home a little late. Didn't get to see my wife. Missed my baby. Uh, got up this morning, and uh, we got to hang out just a little bit. Um, so looking forward to spending some time with them this week. And then we're on to Daytona. Uh, and the Daytona, to me, last year was wild. Lots of crashes. Rick Stenhouse was part of most of that. Um, <laughs> for whatever reason, his fault or not. But anyhow, we had a very wild race, and, and Ricky Stenhouse was in, in, in the middle of most of those things. And I think we're going to have another one. We had tons of lead changes, over 35 lead changes at uh, Talladega. Talking to the drivers that came out of that race, they talked about how the cars had uh, were able to get really, really big runs, and, and, and when those when the cars would get big runs, it'd give them the confidence to do something with yep. it. So we got that there's a new rule package that they are running that they did not run at the Daytona 500. So we had the old rules for the Daytona 500. At Talladega, we went to this new rules. The guys are saying the cars are more responsive on throttle, and they're able to get bigger runs. Bigger runs gives them more confidence. We're going to see guys pulling out, doing things. I also think handling is going to be critical. Handling was pretty important at Talladega. Which uh, you ta- usually don't see as much yeah, at Talladega. Yeah, Daytona's Daytona, you can argue this, but Daytona for me as a driver feels more narrow, and it does feel like handling is always a more critical factor because of the location of the track down in the sand of you know the sandy beaches of, of Daytona. It gets blasted by that sand and wind all year long, and it and it just sandblasts that, that that grip out of that racetrack, and it uh, it's really getting slicker and slicker. So it should be fun to watch those guys have to manhandle those cars. I think we're gonna have a wild race. This is also a race where a lot of guys feel like this might be their only opportunity to get a win and lock themselves into the playoffs. I think that's why you see uh, Ricky Stenhouse and guys like that step up and get aggressive. And so should be a wild night. And then I'm going to take a couple days and spend some time with the family down there in Florida. But I'm excited to be back in the booth, man. It's going to be a good run. Our team's fired up. All the folks in the, you know, all the folks that there's hundreds of people that take, make this production happen that are at the track that people don't see. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's all familiar faces for me this year. So it's going to be fun. I'm on, I'm, the hardest part, I think, though, is the toughest part for, for uh, me is, 
it's difficult for Amy. It's difficult for me. It's difficult. Well, Isla doesn't know. <laughs> I'm watching her. I'm watching videos of her. Amy's sending them to me over the weekend, and Isla seems totally oblivious yeah. <laughs> to, to the fact that I'm not there. At this age, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but it's hurting me, and it's hurting Amy. Uh, that's the only. That's different than it was last year. Yeah. Um, I got home, and um, we've we really missed each other. So yeah. it's gonna be a di- that's gonna be a very difficult part about this next couple months. And I think it's because of where Isla is in her. In her, yeah, just in her life. life. She's that toddler figuring things right. out every day. Something's These are important new. days. Yeah, yeah, and and, yep. it's, and it's hard. So anyhow, you know, that's that's what I got going on. You're talking about um, uh, the crew that it takes to do your broadcast. Yeah. I was asking a lot of questions too about when they get into the racetrack, and so that rain delay yesterday and and finishing the race last night. They have to be set up and ready to roll Tuesday in Daytona. So that makes oh. that whole process yeah. um, very tricky for them and getting that because I was curious about just all the equipment and how they get set up and when do they get in there and and uh get ready to roll so well i hope that you'll come to another race soon and i'll get you give, get the chance to give you a bit of a tour of the yeah, tv like compound yeah. and so forth yeah. i would like to take you into the truck where the producer is yeah i was asking all the questions that, so dale has three buttons he can mute himself mm-hmm. so he can cough or do whatever and then he has a button that all four of them can talk to and, and hear each other, Steve, Jeff, and Rick, and then another button that he talks to. And she said the producer, I was thinking one of the people in the room, and she said he can talk to Renee, the producer, down in the truck out yeah. in the parking lot, yep. you know, so wow. calling the shots. So, yeah, uh, yeah, it is very cool. Yeah, very there's a, that button to the producer is basically to say, hey, there's a great battle for this position. Maybe we should watch that. Yeah. Or um, somebody. And I noticed you saying things yeah. like that. Somebody's yeah. hit the wall. Yeah. If you got a replay, we can show. If you see something that you think fans will love to see, yeah, you can let them know that. But pretty fun. Before we bring in our guests, let's talk about my relationship with Valvoline. It is really special. Yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> been, been a long one. Been a good one. You've done some fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Everything we've done has been, uh, been custom on a personal level. Being the only motor oil brand with a dedicated engine lab makes them a great partner outside and under the hood. In 2014, they let me do a build of one of my all-time favorite car bodies. It's a 74 Chevy Cheyenne, you know? You know that. Short bed pickup truck. Yep. Beautiful. 1974, that was the year I was born, Kelly. No way. Yes. So that's why I did that year. So memorable for me. I got a little brother. (laughs) We took that baby out there and we raced some hell, thanks to Valvoline. We've had a uh, good time working with those guys. Not not short on some funny moments. In 2016, they made me into a bobblehead for their Pit Pals promotion. I remember that photo shoot, and the, I didn't think that was going to turn out as good as it did. <laughs> but it was really funny. Only only your true friends make you a bobblehead. Yeah. Uh, but I tell you, no other Motorola brand goes the extra mile to build a relationship like Valvoline does, which is why I trust them in my engines, and you should too. From high-mileage rides that need that thick anti-wear film to new rides that have carbon buildup, check out Valvoline.com. Slash Dale to find the product that's right for your engine. That's Valine.com slash Dale. Valine.com slash Dale. Now let's get to our guest, Haley Diggin. You hear it. We got Haley Deegan here in the show. I'm excited about this. Um, 
Haley is, uh, you've been like, become like an overnight sensation, <laughs> but I'm sure that's not the case. And that's what we're going to learn about, uh, as we talk to you today, but 20, over 20 canyon starts in the West series, over, 10 starts on the East series, nine top fives on the West, three wins, three Arca starts. I want to know, uh, we'll t- I want to ask you later about your feelings when you pulled out on the racetrack at Pocono for the first time uh-huh. and went down that front <laughs> straightaway. Oh, uh, man, that was different. Yeah, right? That was a unique feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty incredible. Um, I am, a, I'm such a huge fan. I think that, you know, you're an amazing personality. You're a lot of fun to watch on the racetrack and, and, uh, you know, got, you know, got a lot of energy that the sport needs. Um, but I want to learn about like how this all started and how you ended up in stock cars. Mm-hmm. So c- can you tell me like, what was the first thing you ever climbed on with a motor uh, anything in competition? Like, what was the first thing that you got on and went like, this is, I want to race, I want to... It was look. really back, I was seven at the time. My dad just made the transition from freestyle motocross, the sport that he helped start, uh, to off-road trucks, a little safer, a little less broken bones, a little nicer to the body. Um, and I went to one of his races, and it was back in 2008, and I saw these little kids, they were between the age of 8 and 16, racing, and I was like, I wanted to do this, and I was the little kid that, like, when I wanted to do something, I begged, you could tell me no, and still begged for it, (laughs) and I just begged and begged and begged, and on my 8th birthday, they ended up getting me an off-road truck, and ever since then, I fell in love with it, and I couldn't stop, I never really wanted to stop. How long did you do that? I raced off-road trucks in that class for about two three years and then I started winning after about two three years and then I started getting better equipment <laughs> we kind of got the little you know always first car a little little cost effective <laughs> and we ever since then started moving uh won a couple championships there a ton of races first go over there win and really around age 15 I was kind of at the top of my level for off-road, there wasn't much more I could do. Uh, and I didn't even have my license at the time. I was like, I can't peak with my career, and I don't even have my license yet. So I ended up, uh, Toyota ended up kind of seeing me out. But first, before that, my mom actually signed me up for the Jive for Diversity program, yeah. Legend Cars. <laughs> and I ended up getting in that. I raced at the summer shootout for uh, one of the little summers there. And it was fun, a lot of fun. Legend Cars are a pain to drive. Yeah, so They're oh, really yeah. hard. If you can drive a legend car, like I feel like you can drive anything. Yeah. And I still haven't mastered that. <laughs> and it was still some work to do there. But uh, I ended up getting, doing a test. My parents kind of just set up in a late model after the summer shootout series. I was like, well, what do we do next? And I just did a late model test out at Greenville Pickens yep. and Hickory. We did like a back-to-back day test. And the guy was like, can I call Toyota and tell them about you? I was like, yeah, go for it. Like, I, I had no clue. I had nothing. You probably didn't even know what that meant. No, okay. I, did, I didn't know anything. <laughs> I didn't know about Toyota's development program. I didn't know about K&N racing. Like, I was still new. I still pretty much didn't even know the difference between a super late model and a late model. Like, I was still learning everything because I just, I grew up in off-road racing, which was a different, almost like a different sport just because it's so separated. And so they ended up calling Toyota. Toyota tested me out out in California at a couple of the short tracks there. And next thing you know, I'm in contract with them for a couple of years, and we're going K&N racing. So Jimmy Johnson came out of this uh, stadium trucks too. Um, and obviously there's something that you learn in that discipline that helps. What are the, some of the similarities, or what do, what do you think that maybe helped you uh, that you brought over from, from the trucks? Is it car control? 
how to get around a corner, things like that. Because I've always been curious as to what Jimmy's used from his experience in trucks, uh, racing over those jumps and stuff, mm-hmm. to, to transition into stock cars. I think the biggest thing I noticed right off the bat is initial speed. You get up to pace a lot quicker. Like, I didn't need a lot of time to get to a pace. And then also just looking ahead. My biggest thing is I was always good at looking ahead at wrecks and stuff. Uh, It's just stuff that would happen really quick and aggressive. I think the biggest thing taught me growing up was to be really aggressive. People, I get love-hate for it, but in the end, I do what I have to do in races. Yeah, I was was listening to a podcast that you did recently where you talked about being aggressive and you feel like that that's something that you have to do uh, and that you feel like that a lot of girls in racing aren't as aggressive as they Mm -hmm. need to be. Yeah, exactly. I think that there's a lot of girls that have tried to make it in racing, and there's a lot that haven't, and there's obviously a reason why. There's just no blank answer. There's a reason why. There's so many pieces to the puzzle, especially if you're a girl in stock car. I know dirt racing, there's obviously a lot more girls, a lot more. um, I feel like girls have a lot more talent, raw talent for racing there, but just in stock cars, it's a different story. It's just kind of like a blank canvas. I can name almost every girl in stock car racing on one hand. It's just how it is, and I think there's a lot of room uh, for improvement there, but just growing up seeing all these other girls try and not make it, even talking to them and asking, like, why do you think you didn't make it? And hearing all their reasons why it makes me learn as a driver what I can do, what not to do, what to do, what I hear from everyone else saying what to and not to do. And it just helps me uh, in the development process. So you're asking these girls that have raced before for that advice. What are they telling you? Yeah. Uh, I asked Julia Landar. She's the first one. I was like, why do you think so-and-so didn't make it? Why do you think this girl didn't make it? And there's a lot of, there's reasons of, oh, she just drove over her head but never got the results. There's, oh, she didn't have the right off-the-track attitude. Oh, she was too old. There's just so many pieces to the puzzle that you have to have right. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think about, um, Haley and I have done some things together on female panels and whatnot, but what's your stance on being called a female athlete in the sport? Because it's a man's world, and there's, there's, you know, some people just want to be treated like everyone else. Some people want to call out the female aspect because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's important and different, and um, and some people don't even want to act like it exists. So what's your where, yeah. where do you see it? I would say I would use the female card more if I wasn't winning. I'd say now I just want I just want to be a racer. I just want to win. Like I just want to be a good driver. Maybe I would try to use it a little more if I wasn't winning or if I needed it more. But as of now, I want to all be on the track. Yeah. I have probably one of the most aggressive – Looking, my car's all black with monster logos over it. It's not like it's a little pink sparkly car. intimidating. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, we put, like, shark teeth on my grill at the dirt track. Like, stuff that's just different, cool. Um, I think that when it comes down to the on-track performance, that's what makes it count. I take every race, like, my ride's on the line. I Every race, like, it could be my last. And that's how I treat every single situation that I'm in. I, I don't get sponsors to race second I don't my sponsors aren't happy when I finish second they're happy when I win and that's how it is in all racing yeah this past weekend you ran third and Mm -hmm. in your (laughs) post-race social media videos that you do which are great uh you talked about how disappointed you were I was surprised that (laughs) you know I I mean you know because third is I mean it's hard racing's hard Mm -hmm. you know and and a a top three finish is usually something to be pretty pretty 
satisfied with, but yeah. you're not even <laughs> close to satisfied with top third. Top I think three. that when you get a taste of what it's like to win, yeah. anything else besides that is just like you knew. Big. I guess in that night yeah. that you you had enough car that mm-hmm. you probably should have finished better in third. Yeah, but, I yeah. for sure should have finished second, 100. percent We just we were in this. It was so weird this track because last year it was so much better. The initial restart on the outside was good, but they ended up throwing down the uh, speedy dry stuff on the whole outside of the track. It was three fourths of the track oh. on the top line had it, and it just killed us on the starts and so once we got filed back in we would get up to third okay have a restart we'd start behind the leader get in a second but then the next caution would come out would be on the outside and so then I'd play it a little bit try to settle in third but just didn't come back to that rotation when I got back in second in the end so yeah. I need one more caution when I was in third to have a shot at the win but we just didn't get it but you're gonna have those races in the end yeah of course okay with it, I guess yeah. <laughs> how are you how are you using social media to to help you sort of navigate through through these early years in your career? Yeah, I love social media. I think that people in NASCAR don't use it enough. There's so much so much you can do with it. It's just there's this platform where you don't have to have announcers telling the story. You don't have to have commentators telling you uh, what happened in the race. You can do it yourself. You can give your side of the story. I think it's something that drivers need to utilize more where, okay, if you want to state your opinion against, oh, you think this guy's wrong, then tell it on social media. You guys have these platforms with followers. You might as well do it. And in the end, there's a lot of drivers. I think everyone gets a little, uh, I don't want to say petty, but like these grudge matches where you don't want to get involved with other drivers, don't want to build their social. But in the end, you're helping build the sport. You build the sport, you make more money, have a better career and more good racing. How is it that you understand all this at such a young age? <laughs> <laughs> it's only I 17. Think it's from yeah. my dad. Uh, I grew up around his whole era. His whole career was based off a big show of what they did with these crowds and what everyone saw and people were intrigued because it was it was just things that they never did before and I a lot of the stuff was televised a lot of movies were brought out on it and he made a whole wave of just craziness and it was just all brought out within uh the social media when it started bringing up uh with all the younger I guess kids coming up uh there's a lot of in the off-road community, the dirt community, I'd say it's a younger generation, especially dirt bikes. Uh, there was a lot of kids, the whole X Games era. That was just, it's a younger generation. NASCAR's a little bit older generation. I think with the younger kids coming in right now, it's going to bring that new wave of kids. Uh, because the older generation, they're just getting uh, on the older side, and yeah. they're just kind of dying off. And uh, I think there's just a new wave of people coming in, especially with social media, because... Right. It, let's face it, it's usually younger people on social media, <laughs> not usually. Your grandpa's not usually on social media unless he's just following. We don't following. want some of those older people uh, on social media. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, some of the older ones get after on Twitter. Uh, there's there's some people on Twitter, like twi- Twitter, if you go on there, it's like ruthless sometimes. <laughs> Twitter's yeah. a dark place. Yeah, it is. I'm like, I don't know if it's just the older generation of people are on Twitter because yeah. – it's always that guy, that Bob and wherever with his like American flag background always yeah. has something to say. Yeah. <laughs> Haley, one of the things that you do on social media, like you're not afraid to show like the non-perfect side of you. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite videos is when you had the wrong gas in oh. the van. Oh. And, like, a lot of people would have never admitted like mm-hmm. they messed up. Like you put it out there. I'm a human. I mess up. This is what happened. Like, I love that so much. So like, keep doing that because I feel like social media, everybody tries to make it perfect and uh-huh. it's not. Nobody's That's life fake. is perfect. Yeah. So yeah. I applaud you for doing that. Thank you. I had 
a few of my friends text me the next morning. I don't even know why I did that. I, I was, it was one in the morning. I was bored in North Car- in my house in North Carolina. There's nothing around. My mom's vacuuming, and I'm just sitting there. I'm like, I'm sitting here eating food at, like, one in the morning because I have nothing else to do. I was like, might as well post some stuff on social media. Yeah. And, you know, you can only scroll through, like, the news feed so much and see stuff. So I was like, eh, we'll make something. So I ended up telling that story because my dad texts me. He's like, hey, he's like, you did something to the van. And I was like, my God, I was like, I didn't really know what happened. I was like, I really don't know what I did to the van. It just started cutting out. And he's like, it's $14,000 to fix. I was like, oh "Oh my God. And I was like, please don't come out of the race budget. (laughs) I was like, there is no way. I was like, come on, we just, just, Siphon, I just come on. We got there's something we can do. Right. We end up losing a fuel pump in it after we did that too. But uh, I thought I would just tell the side of that story. I feel like it's better to call out yourself, like than someone what, else. Did uh-huh, it. Yeah, it's better to call out your kind of weaknesses, your bad. And I wouldn't say bad things about you, but things that happen that aren't always the best. It's better to have you call yeah, it life out. Life just have, happens. Yeah. 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 In yeah, the end, happens. no one's perfect. We all make mistakes on and off the track, and. It's just how you face those and how you show people how you're going to take them. You mentioned that you're in your house at North Carolina. So I had no idea that you had a house in mm-hmm. North Carolina. Um, I thought that you spent most of your time on the West Coast. So where do you divide your time and, and how often are you over here in North Carolina? Because, I mean, in our, we look at Mooresville as sort of, it's called mm-hmm. Race to the USA, City, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, we, and I don't even know the number really, but in my mind all these years like 90 percent of the nascar crowd or the cup mm-hmm. crowd sort of works here lives here yeah um so how much time are you spending in this area i'd say as of now it's almost 50 percent of my time really? once we wow. get towards summertime i'd say that between the months of june and september i'm really out here a lot for racing because uh we come to the east coast for a lot of the even the west races will come to like the mid area but mm-hmm. it's just for the how NASCAR is in Mooresville is how dirt bikes and off-road is in Southern California. Right. And so that's why I'm there. That's why my dad's there for his career. It's not like my dad has a business over here just racking in the dough. We race and we get our money off racing. That's how uh, he supports my racing. That's how he supports our all of our lives. And Hayden's racing coming up, the pinnacle for coming up in the dirt bike community isn't in North Carolina. Right. It's in California. That's where you have to be. That's where all the sponsors are. That's where Kawasaki, Monster, everyone is, KTM. You just have to be out there. And so now with me going the stock car way, with him going the dirt bike way, it's directly on the opposite side of the country. So uh, it just takes a little work, a, a lot of five-hour flights going from east to west, but we're racking in the miles. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your impression so far of the east coast and, and, and North Carolina? I would think since it's like the whole NASCAR world out here, people would move a little quicker. Really? But, yeah. <laughs> no. Man, people are just... We always get accused of being a little slower. Uh-huh, <laughs> yeah. I would think they would move a little quicker, but everyone loves going uh, five under the speed limit here, love going too wide on the freeways. And <laughs> Man, there's nothing that frustrates me more than people just to go too wide or yeah. semis in the fast lane. It just gets me so heated. <laughs> and so... That's just something I have to get used to. Everyone, when you go places, like, say you go to the grocery store, everyone just works a little slower, but yeah. I guess I'll have to get used to it. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's, that's like a, that's like you said, the pet peeve right aw. there. I saw something where you said one of your biggest pet peeves 
is people that post yoga photos. Oh, I hate that too. Yeah. And what I'm impressed with you is <laughs> I had a conversation with a racer a few few months ago about female racers, mm -hmm. and a lot of them post the duck lip selfies and things like that. <laughs> I can't and not do many, it. not I many can't. of them, not <laughs> many of them post pictures at a race car. And yeah. I look at your feed as compared to some of the others. It's I like it. I see race cars. Yeah. In the end, I'm a racer. I'm not a model, obviously. I lost about a foot of my height for that. And so, <laughs> I, in the end, I'm not trying to be one. I'm trying to be a real person and try to be a racer. You don't see Jimmy Johnson out here modeling. You don't see Kevin Harvick modeling. So why should I be yeah. if I'm trying to be an upcoming racer, trying to make it in this world? Yeah. Who are some of the people you look up to in racing? The, I'd say... My dad's the biggest one just growing up in the off-road world, now coming into stock car racing. Watching a lot of the old footage, it's been your dad. Really? Uh-huh, a lot of it, just watching those old races. I loved the aggressive drivers. I like Kyle Busch. I love his driving style. He might not have uh, the most positivity off the track, yeah. but I do <laughs> like his driving style, and you see him. Uh, at some of the tracks and just his lines he runs are crazy. The amount of momentum he's able to build at these tracks and watching him in the truck series blows my mind because you think of the heavy hairs, you think of the Johnny Sahars, Matt Craftons, the guys that have been there for a long time. You're like, oh, they're the best. You can't get any better than that. And he goes out there and just whoops them all. And you're like, how did he do that? How did he just go from the back all the way back to the front and is now leading by five seconds? It's just yeah. stuff that doesn't happen, he can do. And so I think that's one guy that I – look up to where I'm like, I want to have his driving style. Yeah. Well, his attitude off track has gotten a lot better over the last several yeah, years. Yeah, it has. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you're, you ran a couple of ARCA races, um, K&M West, K&M East, uh, quite a busy schedule. You went to Pocono this year. Probably, I mean, that's got to be the biggest track you've mm -hmm. ever been on. Yes. Very intimidating entering turn one. Down that long straightaway, you're building up so much speed. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts going in that corner? Initially, getting on the track, turn one wasn't bad because I didn't have my speed up yet, but what really got me was turn two. The tunnel. Oh, yes. <laughs> that one was a little sketchy. It just rained before practice. Oh, oh. So the track was a little slick, and so I was going off. I, Every single driver that I knew, I got their notes from there. I was like, I just need all the information I can get. Like, where, And I, I'm the type of person where if you tell me, break right here, gas right here, I'll do it. Just, just tell me where to do it, and I'll do it. And so I got everyone's information from there, and it was good. We had some good tests. I think we were seventh in practice one of the days, and uh, we ended up qualifying fourth, which was I felt like was good in my eyes. Racing's kind of where it threw me for a loop <laughs> there, just all the drafting and stuff. I've never experienced that. So it just, What did the draft feel like? It was the weirdest thing on the first lap there was having the side sealed off, because mm -hmm. I've never had that in K&N. Yeah. That's all new for me. So all the air was super still. And all of a sudden, down the straightaway, I'm starting to turn right. And like, I'm turning right, I'm going to a tunnel turn. I'm like, why are we still going right? And I feel it's like the rear end going on. I'm like, this is a little sketchy. And the nose is a little darty. You can feel the wind. And those were just all new to me. And one of my other teammates, he had tested there. It was his first time on Super Speedway. And he was like, I totally agree. He goes, that was the weirdest thing I've ever experienced. <laughs> yeah. Who do you seek advice from? You're talking about talking to other people. And, and also, what do you do to prepare in the stock cars and other racetracks, mm -hmm. uh, new tracks? I would say there's quite a few drivers, let alone it's just like my teammates. Um, one I actually my kind of go-to, because I know he goes to all the tracks, is Noah. We're actually, yeah. uh, Noah and Riley, we're kind of good friends. Uh, we grew up kind of 
in the same off-roading world and we're trying to take the same pass or I'm trying to take their same pass and so uh he's always one kind of I go to for some notes and he's helped me out a lot of the tracks and we actually raced against each other at Sonoma and I out-qualified him which I was super (laughs) pumped about (laughs) that was my one goal (laughs) but uh there's a lot I do for races. It's mostly just a lot of seat time. Since we go to a lot of short tracks, uh, I go to the go-kart track a lot. And the go-kart track I go to, you can reconfigure the track. It's not like a pole position. <laughs> it's like an actual go-kart track, like a GoPro, where you yeah. take like your tag car shifter cars out. And I can reconfigure the track to make it a circle track. And it's like it makes it a pretty decent size, like probably a quarter mile. And so I go out there, and I'll just do hundreds of laps. And I'll do that a couple days a week just to get ready for all the short tracks. My driver coach, he's he owns the go-kart track. And so he'll get out there uh, with me, and we'll practice just bumping runs all day. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so no you... wonder you're so good at it. <laughs> yeah. I've, been, I've been working on it for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> You train a lot. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're very. Um, you, I think you take your physical conditioning very seriously. Mm-hmm. So tell me about that. Yeah, I. When I'm at home, uh, not at the racetrack, I'm at the gym in the morning. I usually at seven a.m. After that, I go to the go kart track, come back home, and I'll even go like spin class with my mom and stuff. And uh, I always end up working out at night too. So when I'm at home, I'll work out at least two, three times a day. Uh, once we get to the racetrack, it's a little harder to work out that much. But uh, the King and series is nice because you don't have to get to the track till like 11. That's when gates open. So I can work out in the morning, kind of get in my little routine. Uh, when it starts getting hard is when you fly in at like from 4 in the morning and you go to the racetrack early. Uh, that's when it makes it a little tough to have that training aspect. But I try to keep it pretty and checked if I fall off for like two days, yeah. get back after it again. <laughs> have you been to spin class, Kelly? Uh, well, I haven't been to spin class, but I did Sherry spin along. Sherry uh, Pollock. Same thing, right? Uh-huh. It, yes, uh, I wasn't qualified to be there, but <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> it was I, rough. I did a spin class with. I did the same one with Sherry, and I was like, "Man, I'm gonna be good" because I I ride a cycle. Mm, yeah. And then the, they said, "All right, pick that bar up." The one, you know, they, I'm like, I didn't know he's doing arms. Went, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, they're like, hold it out. I'm like, oh, this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize not... that either. First time there, I was like, why are we lifting weights right. over here? I thought this was cardio. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was, that was miserable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in your mind, you know, what, what are the next steps for you? I think why that's such an important question is because people are fired up about you. People are eager uh, to see you move up. I know that there there needs to be some patience there and and you want to do it the right way but in your in the perfect world what are the next steps for you Perfect world, I would say, win at ARCA. Between the series next year, what's going on, how they're combining the K&N right. ARCA series. What does that mean for you guys? Like, I, I, I don't really – I mean, I guess as a driver, you have a different perspective than I would. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean for the drivers when they're, when they're doing what they're doing with the ARCA and K&N series? If I can get a deal to run the full K&N and ARCA series where they combine it, I think it ends up coming to 32 or 34 aces. Really? That would be – prime for me. I yeah. would love to do that in maybe a couple of truck races by the end of the year. I really want to race Eldora next this year. This year or next year? Next year. Next, next year. year. I just... I don't want to make the mistake. I feel like I have one shot at... I, for myself, personally, I see I have one shot at this as uh, to go out there and be a heavy hitter. I want to go out there and be the best I can possibly be. I don't want to go out there and be like, oh man, I should have just spent a couple more races, done a couple more tests. I don't want to regret anything. And when I go, I want to make sure I'm ready. And so... I think that Eldora would be a good place to go next year, yeah. for sure. Um, one of my favorite racetracks is Iowa. I would love to go Iowa in a truck, uh, just because you don't have to mess around with so much drafting, which I'm still learning. Uh, it'd be 
a little help for me. Going to tra- race tracks like Talladega, Pocono, Daytona, those ones where the air starts messing with you a little bit, I think those ones would be a little harder. So I definitely want to make sure I make the right choices when it comes to that. But for next year, I'd love to run the full 32 races there and a couple truck races. Yeah. I wouldn't be in a big hurry to go to Daytona or Talladega. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I had known, you know, if I knew, of course I was and extremely uh, excited to be there when I went for the first time. But I wrecked and crashed and broke stuff the first several trips. And even if you're really, really good at racing at short track or even mile and a half, Daytona Talladega are so different that you just have to go. You're going to make those mistakes mm-hmm. when you go there, even if you have a ton of experience at other racetracks. Uh, it's just such a different discipline. And it took me a long time to figure that out. Uh, if you look at my track record, it's pretty bad uh, starting out at those <laughs> tracks. But what what are some of the you know you talk you mentioned uh, Iowa mm-hmm. that's a wore out slick racetrack. Yeah. I talked to the guys about Iowa. They say the same thing about this weekend at Chicago that reminds them of a dirt track. You seem to you know really appreciate the dirt because mm-hmm. that's sort of your background. Yes. Um, so do you like those old wore out racetracks that wear the tires out and you get to sliding around a lot? Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that are fun for me. I really like. I liked high banked uh, tracks. As soon as we get to those long flat tracks, not my thing. <laughs> Are you running New Hampshire this year? Yes, I ran New Hampshire last, last year. year. And I was like, man, coming to the corners, I was like, I do not like this. <laughs> and I like those Bristol tracks where you sail it into the corners, no braking, you just it feel just the car the sink down. Yeah. yeah, it's not just like the rear that sinks or the front, yeah. or, oh, it's good on the right front. It's like the whole car plants. And what you was go. your thoughts on the first time you walked into Bristol? Bristol was a little uh-huh. nerve wracking. Isn't it crazy? For it, well, after about two hours, I couldn't hear anything, so it was all just sight after that. Yeah. And so that track, I have such a love for that track just because I feel like it favors my driving style, and it's just so much fun. There's, I don't think there's a track that could get more fun than Bristol. If we're good racing, though, I feel like Iowa's one where you can run the top side, run the low side. Like We were running uh, on the bottom there when I was racing there, but then I lost my brakes, and then I ran the top side, and next thing you know, we're in third. So it was, it was good for me. And so uh, there's just those tracks where you're working your favorite a little bit more. Yeah. I, I went to Bristol for the first time, and uh, it's so fast. And even – so – it took me like 40 laps for my mind to sort of figure out what was happening, like mm-hmm. for, me, for me to catch up. Yeah. And I, I thought, you know, I thought that would go away. But every time I went back there, I mean, even the last year I ran there, the first 10 laps on the track, you're, it's like everything's in fast forward, mm-hmm. right? And it just doesn't – and then it finally slows down and gets comfortable. I was always kind of intimidated by that track but loved it at the same time. One of my, that was one of my favorite races to go to. Uh, if you were going to say, all right, man, 12-year-old me, where where do you want to go? What's the one race? You can go to one race. It was always the Bristol night race. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah, that would probably be my pick, yeah. too. But I think it's just such a unique track, and I wish there were more tracks I like do too. that. Yeah. I just yeah. There isn't, which kind of yeah. sucks, but in the end, that's what makes that race that much better and that track so much more valuable when yeah. you go there. Yeah. yeah. What are the K&N tracks like as far as the surface out there on the West Coast? Because the... One one thing I don't think fans understand is how different the surfaces of these racetracks mm-hmm. are depending on the geographical location. So what is yeah. it like mostly out on the West Coast? A lot of these short tracks, they'll repave them one year like we just when we went to Colorado. Yeah. Like that place, it was all repaved. The year before, it wasn't, and you're practically jumping through one and two because <laughs> there's so many little like humps on the bottom. And so it changes it pretty much every single year. Um, you go to some tracks like Tucson, just depending on how much it rains, just how much wear is on the track, like... Uh, Last year at Tucson, I was, like, going and qualifying, and all of a sudden, like, 
the, my car hits the track so hard, a whole like concrete comes out in the cement part. Oh. And so there's they're rough tracks, the short tracks that we go to. A lot of times it's really hot out there, so they're always slick. And so it's just finding a way how you can set up your car to favor that slick driving where it's going to be, okay, you need it slick and qualifying, but next thing you know it's going to tighten up for the race, but then you have to gauge how much because you only go there one time a year, so it's not like you know, and they're always changing from the years before, so it's just it's different, but I like when we get to go to the Bristol tracks, the Iowas. Those are kind of where it's really a lot of fun. I'm super excited to go to Phoenix this year. Yeah, uh, they added yeah. that to the K&N schedule for the – it's going to be the last race, so hopefully we'll be in the points battle by then, or maybe we'll have it secured up by then. <laughs> so that would be really nice, but yeah. I'm excited for that. I wanted to. I just wanted to kind of um, uh, get a better glimpse into your childhood. So Dell and I obviously – uh, grew up with the famous father uh, in our sport, and you've grew up with the pretty famous one in y'all's world. Um, I actually met someone. Well, I actually know someone who their son is named after your dad uh, or y'all's family. <laughs> His name's Deegan. Yeah. And um, wow. they had to explain it to me. Um, but um, back then when I met them, it was probably seven, eight years ago. But um, so we're used to that too in our world. But you were a young kid, mm-hmm. you know, and so how... Uh, what was that like for you growing up? Because, you know, it, it's it's always strange people coming up to your family at dinner, asking for autographs or just making such a big deal about your dad. Mm-hmm. He's your dad. Yeah. You know? And uh, so what was that like for you guys? It was always everything felt normal to me. Like, oh, our normal, our family trips were going to the L.A. Coliseum watching dad like and X Games. Like that was like our vacation for the year. And <laughs> Same. That like, that's what we always said about yeah. Daytona. It's uh-huh. like the beach. It was a different lifestyle that I was so accustomed to just because I grew up in it. I was the first kid, and so everything, my dad, he had the whole male militia thing going on, very rough, tough, and my mom's over here trying to put me in, like, pink hair bows, and (laughs) obviously it didn't last for very long, but it was just a crazy lifestyle that we, we grew up in, and just so much chaos now that I look back at it, and just being around it all it was just it was different but like we would go the mall like me and my dad would go the mall and like we'd get stopped every 10 feet and I was like dad come on like come on I just it felt normal to me and it was just it was different things like that but over the time obviously I realized that it wasn't normal yeah but one thing that about stock racing a lot of people have this mindset of oh dad's like, don't let your dad like get too ahead of himself don't let him get too involved where something happens I think that a lot of people that say that don't have dads in racing and don't if you have a dad that races or you have raced before you know that your dad is usually pretty valuable for you especially if he's raced before and I think that's something that uh, my dad has done a lot for me I would not be at the place where I'm at right now without him and he's the one that goes to the go-kart track with me and practices with me all the time he goes to the gym with me and Uh, Just everything we do, we do together. He's the one sacrificing his time from his career because, in the end, he doesn't have a business where he's just laying back, whatever, chilling. He has a racing career of himself. He's sacrificing that to come to these races with me to make sure I'm at the top of my game. Are you, you graduated high school, right? Yeah, I did yeah. last year. I, I thought so. So um, obviously you want to, to a career yeah. in NASCAR. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I know that's your number one goal. And I have a daughter that races too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, but I'm also constantly on her about, you know, just school and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Are you doing any college? Or are you doing anything else or just focusing on, on your racing So right I kind of based it around when I started homeschooling. I was 12, no, 14 years old, 14. I was seventh grade. And... 
I remember my parents would not let me homeschool. I was like, come on. I was like, I've gotten straight A's ever since kindergarten, please. I was like, come on, I really want homeschool. And it was during winter break. And I was like, I need homeschool. I was like, I want to so bad. And keep in mind, I'm still in like little junior carts over here just, you know, <laughs> racing. But I was winning at the time. And I ended up writing like a five-page essay of why I should be homeschooled. And I gave it to them before we went back for Christmas, uh, over, over Christmas break. And I was like, come on, please. I was like, I will do anything. And so... I ended up, they ended up laying me homeschool after that, and I kept those straight A's. I didn't take any summers, no breaks off, and I kind of just did all. I didn't want to say skip because I didn't not do, like, all the work. I just did all the work at a quicker pace to where I wouldn't have to stay till I was 18. So I made sure I did that so I'd have these prime years where I can focus 110% on my racing. So I kind of staged that out so I could focus on my racing. In the end, if racing doesn't work out, which I really hope it does, but <laughs> if it didn't, I still have, I'm still only 17. Like I still have time where I could do all the college stuff. Yeah. yeah. So you finish high school, all the high school credit stuff early. Yeah. So I just did it all. I just did it all quicker just because I knew my schedule would just be compacting a lot more, getting a lot crazier. And I just wanted to make sure I had it all done. That's crazy. <laughs> I wish I would have wrote a five-page essay to tell my family not to send me to military. <laughs> <laughs> I should have tried that. I just was like, okay, I'm going. Full acceptance. Yeah. <laughs> That's awful. That's awful. So I get, Kelly, Mike Davis is usually my co-host. Uh, he's out on vacation this weekend, so I was super excited to have Kelly here to help interview you. She herself raced. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious about, Kelly, your emotions when you're thinking about Haley and her future and how she's doing uh you as a driver you know how that world yeah. is what what kind of emotions do you have when you look at her and and see her having success and and knowing that there's potential there well I think the cool thing is like I always tell uh everybody I live vicariously through Danica when she was here because you know I raced too and it was a different era um glad I'm in the business world now but um seeing your spark and just your personality to also go along with your talent is awesome it's hard to it's hard to support female racers like you said that have a lot of other motives mm -hmm. and and performance and, and what they're doing on track doesn't always look like it's the most important thing that they're doing you know so um I think seeing that bundled up in you is really cool um and uh I, I just want to see I want to see more than one of you make it, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, at the top level, because I think there's a lot of opportunity uh, for for you guys. There's a lot of sponsor opportunity. Um, but I, that's why I was asking about the female aspect of it, because I think it should be celebrated. Mm -hmm. um, and especially when there's few and far between that get to you know, the NASCAR ranks. And you look out, like you said, you look out over the dirt world and you look out in late models and all of this. There's there's female racers out there and there's a lot of them. They just all don't get the opportunity to get to where we are. And, um, you know, I people ask me what, you know, why, why don't females make it? And the number one reason to me is that nobody will give them a chance. Mm -hmm. You know, they, there's performance out there. There's lots of raw talent out there. But, but a, a car owner and or a sponsor will not give them a chance. And taking it, uh, I wanted to elaborate on, too, what you said about taking it slow because that's important. It's important because of your age, for one, because, like you said, you're going to – right now it's like you get in and you need to have results quickly or it's um, – 
or you're, you know, you're set to the side really quickly. So um, I think that's really smart of you too to, to, to take as many years as you need. I wish Danica would have stayed with us a, a full, another full Xfinity year. You know, she was mm-hmm. here two half seasons essentially while she was running Indy cars and then only one um, season with us. And, you know, I think if she could have got, had she was improving and she could have got some wins under her belt in the Xfinity series, that would have helped her when she moved to the Cup Series, you know, as well. So um, I'm excited for you. It's, uh, I, I just love it. I mean, I, yeah. I want a female to make it so bad. Yeah. Um, I grew up, I mean, I grew up with Shauna Robinson and Patty Moise mm-hmm. and, and people like that that um, I was big fans of and cheered for. And I just think that um, the sport needs it and that they want it. The fans mm-hmm. want it. I mean, I think that's why they're so wrapped around you and, and engaged in you because you're engaged. And um, so I'm I'm ready for it to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that if I have to spend another year down in ARCA yeah. in the K&N series just so I could have a five-year longer career, I'm willing to do that 100%. Like, I just don't want to go too fast. Yeah. But also, I think being a girl in racing has its pros and cons. I feel oh, like absolutely. It, it has, okay, you're a girl, you get a shot, you uh, have some money behind you. But in the end, not everyone's willing to work with you. The hardest thing for me uh, going into the K&N series that I didn't realize was going to be a problem is having crew chiefs work with you. Yeah. That's the hardest thing is having crew chiefs work with you because, first of all, they see you as a little girl, and they're like, yeah. oh, she don't know what she's talking about. And so it took the longest time for me to earn the respect of these guys that have been there forever, all these mechanics and everyone in these. Just that I've been doing it for a long time, when you get these older guys that just have – are set in their ways it's hard for them to move out be uh in a different situation and so that took me a long time I'd say I lost about half my season was just meshing with the crew mm-hmm. chief and I'm on my like fourth crew chief now <laughs> and just it's finally I'm finally realizing what I need out of a crew chief and crew chiefs are now realizing what they need out of me and I'm I feel like a talkative person so I give a lot of information and so it's been helping, but that was the hardest thing for me was just getting crew chiefs and people to believe in me. Absolutely. I, that's hard, whether you're a guy or a girl. Mm-hmm. I, but when to draw some parallels with, with, with Kelly's late model career, I, I, was, uh, I was with her when she would go to the track, help build a couple, help build one car at least. Uh, but I worked on a car on the weekend, and that was the one thing that stood out to me in, in, in her career and, and, and seeing other female drivers from, from a, bit of, uh, a, a bit more distance is getting people to believe in their, their future and getting people mm-hmm. to believe in their ability and, and trust what that, you know, trusting what Kelly's saying about her car and how it's driving and what she wants it to do and what it's not doing. Typically, we would always, we had a bad habit of trying to tell Kelly to change her driving style. Mm-hmm. And, you know, instead, yeah, I've had like, a lot of crew chiefs right. tell me to change my driving. I'm like, I know how to drive one way, right. <laughs> and so I'm like, I can't change it. Exactly. You know, like fi- you know, you'll fix the car if you do this. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. and it's and it's and you just, uh, but I so I can totally. And, and the longer I worked with Kelly, the more I got to seeing how difficult it was for her, uh, you know, emotionally to to like somebody listen to me. This mm-hmm. thing will not turn in the middle of the corner. It doesn't drive off the corner well. Um, so that can be really frustrating, but I've been in parts of my career too, where no one believed, Yeah, you know, no guy, no one on the team, it felt like believed that I was the mm-hmm. guy for the drive, you know, for the job. Uh, and that can be really frustrating. Do you feel like the guys race you harder? <laughs> uh, that's like the most debated question on social media right, <laughs> right now. And in the end, at the beginning, 
Yes. I felt like I was very taken advantage of. People would, uh, oh, she's on my outside. Well, she used her up a little bit more. She ain't going to do anything about it. And I was like that in the beginning because I was just so new to it. I was like, oh, I don't want to wreck the car. I don't want this. I don't know how much the nose can take. And uh, I just coming from off-road racing, it was halfway through the season. I just changed my mentality. I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm over this. I was like, we're going to go get after it. I was like, I'm over these 40-year-old guys thinking they can just push me off the track. I was like, listen here. I was like, I am coming for you guys next, okay? And ever since then, I just started throwing my elbows up. And I'm like, I don't care what people say. If you're going to to run me hard, I'm going to run you hard. Just because you take the first swing and I finish it, doesn't mean I was like, oh, you're the one to start it. If you want to start it, I am going to finish it. And so, and everyone's like, oh, well, you, the only reason you win races is because you pass them on the last lap. I'm like, no, I don't pass them on the last lap because that's the only time I can. I was like, I pass them on the last lap because I know they're not. That's when you need to. I was like, I know they're not. I have this all planned out. Like, I could have, for my first win, for just there's different times, like, I could have passed this person. I could have hit him two laps before. I could have gave him a little nudge up the track. But chances are they're coming back after that. Sure. So I had this all planned out. It happens always in the last corner, always in the last corner. And that's something me and my driving coach have always went over over the years of training and just perfecting how two laps to go, okay, we have our kind of allies before the race, but two laps to go, no one's your friend. Sure. And especially now since we've been running a little – harder and everyone we've all been running each other harder i've noticed less people talk to me at the track <laughs> i have spent a lot more time hanging out in my holler <laughs> and yeah. so it gives me more time for social media but it's just different because in the end i don't want to have to run people that hard but i do it for a reason i just don't do this for no reason like this last race at oregon all of a sudden we're running okay uh running good and then all of a sudden this guy and we're running clean. I was like, not going to knock the nose off of it, just making clean passes. And all of a sudden, this guy comes back uh, behind me and hits me. And I was like, game on, let's go. <laughs> and so uh, after that, I was like, okay, bumping runs are coming. Next thing you know, four bumping runs later, we're past people. And so uh, once people start it, it's just, it's fair game after that. <laughs> yeah. Have you ch- have you noticed a change in other people's driving styles since you've become a little more aggressive on the track and they're not maybe they're not pushing around quite as much? Oh, uh, 100%. I wouldn't say they're not pushing around as much. There's a couple guys that, I don't want to say it, but, like, have learned their lesson <laughs> to not, like, they're, oh, she's around us. Like, I'm make sure I don't hit her. Yeah. And so there's guys that will play it smart, but there's also, also the ones that haven't learned. Like, I can name a few. I'm not going to, but there's a, probably one specifically where you get next to him purposely turns like out Sonoma we're going down to uh the turn 11 and I'm on the inside perfectly at his door turns four times into my door thank god there's a caution because I went spinning on like the infield area and so it was just different things like that but obviously if I'm gonna give it I have to be able to take it so uh I'm okay with it now now that I'm I'm like okay we've got our wins I've uh capitalized on everything I was kind of expecting that I told um, the guy at Toyota that I deal with for all my deals and races I'm going to. And he's like, how do you feel about the car? I was like, the car's not the problem. I was like, there's an 80% chance I'm getting taken out this race. He's like, if not, we have a shot at it. And so I just, I've accepted it now, and I think that uh, I'm okay with it, obviously. I'm not going to win every single race. I'd rather have a wreck going for a win then settle in third. That's the hardest thing for me is settling in third and just sitting back. It's just like, oh, I could have done so much more. Sure. Knowing that you could have done so much yeah. more, you didn't lay it all on the table or have the best finish for what your crew gave you, those are races that hurt the worst. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think a driver's worst 
I don't know if it's, it's not the worst fear, but the one thing, like if you get bumped, you have to go back and give it mm-hmm. back to them because you'll get a quickly, quickly, especially like the higher you go in the Xfinity and the trucks and the, in the cup series, especially the cup series. If, if, they all see it. You know, you're out on the racetrack and a guy bumps you and you don't do anything. Mm-hmm. Everyone saw that. Oh, everyone does, yeah. And everyone goes, oh, okay, he's not, you know, he's not mm-hmm. going to do anything. And everybody starts using you up, mm-hmm. driving you into the <laughs> fence off the corner. And it's like, yeah, you got to stick up for yourself. Yeah, got to put your foot down. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so there's, uh, recently you went to a local short track and you got to do a match race with your dad. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. Is that true? It was Roseville, right? And so... We, my team owner, he holds, uh, he actually bought that track, which is cool. Um, kind of one of the, not my favorite short tracks. Why, <laughs> so why not? This track, it's just, I don't, it, I think it's like built backwards or something. <laughs> like there's just <laughs> something that's just wrong about it. You yeah. drive it and you're just like, this is just wrong. <laughs> and so you come into the first corner and it's just like you straight stop on the bottom and then all of a sudden you get the car turned, but then there's like a lot of wall out. And so you're like, okay, there's room. You're like, what the heck is going on? You can't roll the center. You cannot roll that corner for the life of you. And then all of a sudden you go into the next corner and you're climbing like up a hill and then you drop down. But then all of a sudden the wall is like, even when you're on the bottom, only like five feet out, you can't fit two cars wide. And it's like the wall's all jagged. So like my first time there, I'm going straight and all of a sudden like the car hits the wall and I was like, I swear I was straight. I was like, I did not lean to the right at all, but the wall just comes out that yeah. much further. And it's just, it's an odd track. And so me and my dad went there and my team owner asked if I'd come out. Uh, we flew out on a little plane that he had us. I kind of put it on my social media. <laughs> that was the funniest part. He goes, First, he's like, oh, I'll get you a jet out there. I was like, from Sonoma. I was like, wow, awesome. Yeah, all of a sudden, oh, jet doesn't work. Okay. Um, and then all of a sudden, we go to a dual prop uh, plane. So I was like, okay. I was like, not horrible. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was like, that's not that bad. Sketch. And then we go to, and then I was like, oh, that one doesn't work. So we have a helicopter. I was like, oh, okay, I've been in a helicopter before. That's fine. Next thing you know, we're in, like, this crop duster. And so I was like, oh, my God. We get in it, and I'm, like, looking at the plane next to it. I'm thinking it's that plane. And I was like, this is sketchy. And our pilot's probably pushing 80. And, it, like, I was like, I don't know what's older, the plane or him. Like, I'm looking at the little, like, little, like, cigarette pockets right there. And they're all rusted and orange. I was like, and they have, like, the little evacuation sheet. And this thing looks like it's on newspaper. And I was like, this is not good. And so we're flying, and I'm just panic mode. And this plane can't even get the high, high enough to where yeah. I still had service to post everything as yeah. it was going on. And so it was just so sketchy. And so we land there. It's during the day. I was like, oh, thank God we made it, whatever. You're all kissing and, the ground. Uh, yeah. So there's three risky events that night. It was the plane ride there. It was racing against my dad, which I feel like we don't go easy on each other ever. And I got, like, super bad the seatbelt. Since I had a regular T-shirt on, this old school, like, NASCAR T-shirt on. It's just, like, a basic white T-shirt. And I had uh, th- these belts on. And I got hit. And then I, like, went off the side of a jump, and it, like, necked myself. And so my whole, like, right here was all bruised, like, bad from uh, the car. And so I was like, that was not the best idea to do that race. <laughs> but in the end, it was a lot of fun. It definitely a little sore the next day. Yeah. But in the end, put on a good show. The next thing... I'd say the riskiest part of that night was the third challenge. I felt like I was in like a game of Jumanji over here, just things getting constantly thrown at me. And it was flying home in the dark in that plane. And, oh, oh, man. And Goodness, you keep yeah. in that mind, Sonoma, San Francisco, super overcast. So yeah. 
We're going. And all Is that overcast or smog? <laughs> I, I think it's a solid 50-50. <laughs> I think they both add up. And it just gets denser. And so you can't see anything. And we're going to go land. And I'm looking at this guy just, like, flying the plane. And I see him go through the clouds. And the, like, landing ship's, like, oh, like a half mile over there. And I'm like, we just missed the landing ship. And I was like, did we just really miss the landing ship? I, like, look at my mom. Like, we missed it, didn't we? <laughs> and so it was He's like, oh, we have to circle back around. And we're, like, trying to find the landing ship. Oh, no. Oh, my God, this is so sketchy. And so not be good. Yeah, we made it through those three events. That was, like, the final challenge. And it was a good night. Made for really good Instagram content. (laughs) So, necked myself must be an off-road term. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's the first time I heard that one, too. (laughs) But I can imagine with all the jumping, um, my my seven-year-old's into watching Monster Jam. And so, we were talking. And he's like, man, that must really hurt when they land and do all these, you know, and mm-hmm. just I can imagine the force and all the movement. Have you driven a monster truck before? I have not driven a monster truck, but what, by, by what my dad <laughs> says about it, it is painful. Yeah, there's some older guys in Monster Jam and stuff. And I'm like, dude, you guys are taking beatings out here. Crazy. Yeah, I'm like, and you see those tires, they just like absorb. Yes. But then, you know, that don't absorb everything. Yeah. And so that's one of looks like the more hardcore hurting sports. But the class I race and off-road um, my dad has a little more suspension than me I've driven his truck I'm like oh my god it's like driving on a cloud and so my truck it's like I see it as like a brick yeah. and it's bricks don't have suspension yeah. and so my truck doesn't have the most suspension and in the off-road series I don't know why like we've been trying to get him to fix it but they make these huge ski jumps to flats and I don't know why all the trucks they just love it and so we go these jumps and you have to sail it off, and everyone you always talk about, they're always like, you clinch. After every jump, you just clinch. And these tracks are short, and you have, it's not that many laps, but it's like 15 laps at 150%. And it's just, it's all craziness. And just so much that's happening. Everyone's like, oh, why is she so aggressive? And I'm like, you should see my dad in racing. Be. You should see where I came from in racing. And yeah. You just, on these restarts, whenever there's a yellow in off-road racing, you know if you're the leader, you ain't finishing there. Yeah. Ever. And so it's just that's how it is. You're a sitting duck, and you're just waiting to pretty much get either cleaned out, lifted up and pushed off the track, spun out, or just straight door slammed in the first corner by guys who pretty much cut the inside track. Yeah. And so it's just, it's a different type of racing that it's, how do I change my ways when I've grown up racing in this series for 10 years? That's what was instilled into me from half my life. And yeah. so how do I change that automatically? People, oh, she's too aggressive. Oh, she knocks the nose off of it. And it always, everyone always says to me, you need to stop knocking the nose off of it. I was like, it could be worse. I could totally yeah. <laughs> don't, <I haven't> done. <laughs> don't, don't, don't change anything. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's just, it's just getting pass that and in the end i'd say it's a solid 50 50 of people saying oh you need to do this oh you need to do that and people are like stay the way you are and so in the end i'm not changing so if people have their opinions but in the end i am who i am and i don't think that's going anywhere (laughs) your uh, parents are here and and the whole interview Mm -hmm. your dad's been back there smiling from (laughs) ear to ear everything i can't see behind me (laughs) is it i mean and, and you talked about he's he's with you all the time how how I know it's important to have his leadership and his knowledge but how awesome is it just as a daughter and and a father to to be able to experience all this together it's awesome my dad's like my best friend my mom's like the girl best friend I have in my life and so my dad he's straight up like my best friend we go everywhere together we do everything together and people are like oh you know when people go 
in that age of teenage era, like, oh, my dad's not cool. My right. dad's my dad's badass. So hey, like, yeah, bring him here. So no, there's hope. Yeah, there's hope like, for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, see, you'd be a cool dad. My daughter's <laughs> not gonna disappear. <laughs> stay away, stay away from the pleated khakis. You'll be all when, right. Yeah. We were when we had Isla. We had Isla. We were on vacations in the Keys, and we're we're strolling her down the road, and and uh, she was like eight months old, and we're just so proud. Me and Amy are walking, it's quiet, and this guy comes walking by, and he goes, she's going to break your heart in 15 years. Oh. And I was like, oh. I was like, Amy, that ain't true, is it? <laughs> That's sad. You, yeah. better, you better get some tips. Yeah, yeah right? how it's done. No, I, think I think you'll be a cool dad. I hope so. so. Uh-huh. Has there ever been a time where you and your dad kind of like butt heads? Because I'm a lot like my dad. And when I was a teenager, like we butted heads hard. And now he's my best friend again. But like, has there ever been a time that you guys have butt heads on something? Man, honestly, I don't even think so. I would say that's awesome. The biggest thing we butt heads about is if I do something on the track and we get like, like, oh, you should have done this. Oh, you should have done this. Because he'll spot, he spots, he's my spotter. And so he... We'll always kind of, most of the time, only time butting heads is when he's telling me, like, do something more on the track and be more aggressive, do this. And I say it's the only time, but I take my dad's opinion to the full force and I usually do pretty much everything he says, yeah. <laughs> especially when it comes to racing. I think it's like you said earlier. I mean, you, you cannot not take his mm-hmm. advice exactly. when he's had the experience and the success and, mm-hmm. and talking about other dads in the sport, you mm-hmm. know, where they're not racers or whatnot. Yeah. I mean, you, you kind of have to listen to your yeah. dad. <laughs> strong good force behind yeah. me <laughs> yeah. of direction you mentioned um earlier your brother how um younger is your brother <sighs> you want to talk about someone that butt heads me and him <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you said he wants to race too so yeah race, so i so. have two little brothers two uh brothers. one's 13 one's nine the 13 year old's actually out here he's just as determined as I was as a kid for dirt bike racing. And he's out here training at his friend's house. He legit will stay the night there for a week and just practice every single day. He's wow. the fastest kid in the nation for his age bracket right now. And he just, I, I call it stupid because it's so crazy the stuff he does. And I'm like, I will never be as cool as him on a dirt bike or pretty much anything in Marcus, I was like, my only hope is that I can make more money than you. Okay? <laughs> my only hope is that I can buy cooler things than you. And uh, we go, ha- me and him, it's always the battle of Instagram followers. And oh. just, it's this like ongoing battle. And I used to be so far off of him. And now he's at 600,000 and I'm almost at 500,000. And oh I'm like, God. I am gaining on you. I'm like, I am going to pass you here soon. And we just, that's pretty much the only thing we butt heads about. And I'll come home from races and, like, say something happens, I wreck. And we take little jabs at each other all the time, always taking little jabs of, oh, well, you should have done this. Oh, well, you didn't win that race. And, oh, it, just going at it about that stuff. But me and him are actually really close. Like, he is actually a cool little kid, and he's getting cooler now as he gets older, a little more mature, and we hang out more. I'll take him to the movies, and he always wants to go hang out do stuff. So uh, he's cool. He's fun to be around. <laughs> you talk about your, um, your, your dad and your mom both being your best friends. Mm-hmm. What sort of role does your mom play in your career? She... She takes me to the races. She's my cook. She's like, oh my god, like there's something on your face. Let me get that for you and make sure, like, make sure everything's good. And uh, I haven't been around her very much, but to me, she seems like the level. Yeah, like, like she keep, keeps let's me in keep the right direction. Level, right? Always. Yeah. And throughout my whole childhood, she's always kept me in the right direction. And I think I'm the person and have the right morals and uh, who I am today. And 
have my priorities straight because of her. I think I have my racing for my dad, but definitely she's kept me on the right track to making sure my career is my priority. Yeah, you got to have that balance. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think I got both sides of it, so hopefully it makes up 100%. And, uh, she's done pretty much everything for me from sacrificing, hanging out with my little brother, sitting at the track with me, even though I know she'd love to be uh, spending time with my little nine-year-old brother that's still a little kid. And there's a lot of things that she's taking her time out to do. And we have, my mom's the girl role in my life, whether she's the one that I go to the mall with and uh, the only really girl role I get. And so in the end, I'm in a male sport and I've accepted that I'm going to be, all my friends are pretty much going to be guys. (laughs) And so it's just how it is. From you growing up um, in the dirt world, that's probably your friend base, I would imagine. I know my daughter, <laughs> yay and nay. Yeah. My daughters both always talk about how hard it is to talk. They both, you know, race outlaw carts and Carson in the midgets uh, on the dirt series now. But they talk about how hard it is to make friends. Mm-hmm. Like they have a bunch of guy friends, yeah. but they're not really sure if their guy friends are really their friends because, yeah. you know, they're, they're competitors. Yeah. But it's hard for them to have real true friends mm-hmm. and it's hard for them to talk about racing because they people don't get it yeah you know, yeah that, exactly but, uh-huh. and so do you find that too I totally agree because in off-road racing I had my little posse but everyone broke up they all went not yeah. racing went to college did their own thing so whether it's still racing and off-road community it's a little more rough edgy California a little more party and that's just not me <laughs> I'm focused 110% on my career and when you're off-road racing it's because everyone's not there for a career. That's more, I'd say, a hobby. There's very few people that make it a career. My dad's been uh, lucky to be one of them and made a really good career off of it. But everyone's there to kind of do their own thing. And so I don't get too involved with the off-road people as much. Obviously, like the fans and everyone that comes out and supports me. But I only do a couple off-road races a year, which I want to keep doing throughout my career to keep that aggression up with me. But... Stock car racing, I started out with a nice big group of friends, and it's very minimized now. (laughs) It's very, very small. And so uh, I've realized over time who are my real friends and who aren't. And those people who have your back, those people when you get in wrecks, when things happen that are still sticking with you and support you, those ones where even if you're racing with each other, they'll still help you out. Like uh, before Sonoma, Noah went up to me and I was like, okay, what do I have to do to qualify faster? And then I out-qualify him. He goes, I gave you too much information. <laughs> I was like, you did. <laughs> and so it's different things like that. But the like test that. is if he'll do it again exactly. in the future, right? I know, yeah, exactly. So as long as I keep getting notes, we'll be good. Uh, but it's just you find your circle, and I think those are yeah. – it's better to have a couple of true friends than a ton of acquaintances. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that I'm real passionate about is driver simulation, and there's a lot of various types of those in the sport, and it's getting more and more important, I think, uh, and useful. Uh, you got the big simulators mm-hmm. uh, that Chevrolet, Toyota, and all those guys have. You have sim rigs that drivers have at home. Noah's got one at his house. How often are you able to use simulator? Um, did you use simulator to go to Pocono to prepare for Pocono or anything like that? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, so when I do simulator work, I usually go to Toyota simulator mm-hmm. just because there is a such top Might of the well line. Might as well go to the Mac Daddy. <laughs> yeah, and so just top of the line, and I'm like, fuck on. If I'm going to do it, like I'm going to go there and spend real time doing it, make adjustments on the car, feel everything, that make sure – Everything feels as realistic as possible. If you got a hookup for simulators, I need one for out in North Carolina. (laughs) So I'm still working on one out here. So hopefully I can get one soon out here. So since half my time's out here, I need one. Yeah. And so when you get 
uh, when you how how helpful was that to be able to go and get in the simulator to prepare for Pocono? Like when when I would use a simulator, you know, I'd been to most of the ovals, but for example, we went to test it road Atlanta one time, mm-hmm. and I'd never been there. Of course, I mean, I'd seen the track, but I never drove, drove around it. Mm-hmm. And the simulator was like cut like I'd spent if I hadn't had the simulator I'd have probably spent the first day all the way up to lunch just learning the track Mm -hmm. and then when I got there I was like oh I feel like I've been here this is all like deja vu driving around and we were right up to speed Mm so um is that are you using the simulators to learn the tracks uh how quickly is it helping you get up to speed because you have limited amount of practice at ARCA and stuff like that yeah and I'd say last year is really like Sonoma I went there uh, on the Sonoma track and we went out there and qualified third, so it was good. I felt like uh, the simulators helped me a lot. I went there before Bristol this year, and we were fast at Bristol, but we just got screwed because uh, qualifying. We didn't get to qualify because my motor blew up right before in yeah. practice, and it was 15 minutes later to qualifying, and I didn't have time to change it. So uh, we were really fast, though, and in the end, I went to the simulator, and I did 350 laps. I just sat in there and just pounded out laps, and yeah. uh, that helped me so much. And before New Smyrna, the first race this year, where we were dominating until my car ended up breaking, but <laughs> uh, until then, we were on top of the board every single time. And I went there at New Smyrna and just did tons of laps, and I feel like it helps so much. Seat time is invaluable, and that's the thing I lack right now, especially with this only being my second season in a stock car. Uh, I just I lack experience and on pavement, and so as much as I can get or at least mimicking as much as I can get is extremely important to me yeah I I was talking to Jeff Burton this weekend about simulators and he feels like that that was the one thing that we lacked when he was driving in the Mm -hmm. cup series and before was being able to hop on iRacing and run for four hours the day before uh, going to a new track or a road course that's a perfect Mm -hmm. example going to Sonoma for the first time I mean if you've never got any laps there and you got to show up there and practice without a test or anything you're it the weekend's going to be miserable yeah mm-hmm. and uh and the, the ability to be able to have a simulator in your own home even uh that's so advanced uh for the drivers that you know such as Haley and all these young guys is invaluable I'll try my best try to hook you up uh-huh. with something I, I'm actually yeah, in the middle I think so yeah bad. we might know a guy <laughs> I, I just sent Amy, I, mean, I, sent, I just sent Kelly an email uh you want to rent that thing out we can pay for it business purposes <laughs> yeah <laughs> promote you guys on all social yeah. <laughs> just anything i need a simulator i just, I just sent a uh, kelly a yeah e- he's like send a like, check for this i'm getting a simulator I'm buy this sim rig man <laughs> i'm finally gonna get one i've had a desk forever oh. <laughs> uh, so we talked about earlier like what's next in the you know in the distant future what you got coming up in the next couple weeks Next couple of weeks, I have another ARC race coming up. Where at? I think it's, I want to say Elko. Yep. Yes, Elko, Elko, Minnesota. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh, what? Get... I've never even heard of that racetrack. Oh, it's an awesome little short track. Uh-huh. So it's a short track? Yeah, yeah, it's a small track. Flat, banked? Uh, it's it's, uh, it's, it's, like I'd in say it's in between. It's yeah. not a high banked Had... racetrack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. ASA used to run there, and, and it's a hotbed of late model racing mm-hmm. in, in that region. Great. Yeah, so I have that. Iowa is coming up in K&N. Yeah, yeah. So uh, next K&N race I have is an East race. But the combination race for actual West Points is Iowa, the yeah. next com- uh, next one. So I go to New Hampshire and then to Iowa. So I'm super excited about that. But New Hampshire will be great because we'll all be there. Uh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. guys. <laughs> yeah, like we yeah. we are we rarely cross paths. Mm-hmm. We watch a lot of your races after the fact because they're they're you know they play a couple weeks later on TV. Um, so it'll be great to see you race in person. Yeah, That'll hopefully. Be, yeah. Set up there, I was, I don't know if I was lost on the, I think it was a solid 50-50. We struggled on setup, and I was just lost. Yeah. Because that was the first bigger track I've ever been to, especially in a stock car. 
and I never really experienced anything like that. So I was a little lost last year, so hopefully we'll come back this year swinging. (laughs) Obviously, you had your uh, contact with your teammate. You know, we kind of talked about your aggressive. Yeah, Colorado to (laughs) win the race. It seemed like you guys are getting along pretty well. Uh, You know, he won this last race. Yeah, he did. Uh-huh. me and Y'all Derek, patched up? Me and Derek had the weirdest relationship <laughs> ever. I, I call it frenemies. <laughs> and so we are friends in the sense we talk, have conversation, but our conversation usually consists of us taking jabs at each other. <laughs> and so it just, it's different. Like in the end, he's one of, he, before Colorado, he was kind of like one of the only person, people I really talked to at the track. Um, after Colorado, Definitely lost some distance there. <laughs> and so uh, we would just funny stuff. Now it's just we laugh about it. But okay, in the yeah. end, I feel like the competition in K&N is so there's four solid cars I feel like that can win. And me and Derek are one and two of them. And so I feel like it's going to come down to it again. And in the end, we're both aggressive. <laughs> and so I feel like contact is in our near future. And so <laughs> well, that, I mean, that's the hardest part of the yeah. sport. I mean, Dale was talking earlier about, you know, being able to take it and give it back on the racetrack and yep. people seeing that you can give it back. But I mean, that is the hard part, no matter what level that you're playing at is you are competitors. Yeah. At the end of the day, everybody out there is competing. It doesn't matter if you're competing for a crew person role or a crew chief or a driver or whatever it is. And those relationships are very difficult to manage. Mm-hmm. You know, it's family business, difficult relationships, but competitive competitiveness is, I mean, that's the number one thing that drives what you do. And so it'll, that's just always yeah. going to be a challenge. Yeah. I mean, I always, it really is. Man, I, I, I had friends, you know, I, I, raced, I had great friends that I raced against, but I always had to remind myself that the people that really matter when I'm on the track are in the, in the pits, mm-hmm. my crew chief, my team, yeah. I got to do whatever they're wanting me to do. Exactly. You know, and I would be racing with Matt Kenseth. One of, we were great pals. And I want to, I mean, to, to take this spot, I'm going to have to use him up a little bit. Mm-hmm. You got to put your, you got to put these guys in bad situations yeah. and take advantage of them on restarts and things like that. And it's not in my nature to do that, but I had to make myself do it thinking mm-hmm. about the guys in the pits going, Hey, you're going to pass this guy or not, you yeah. know? And, um, so it's hard to separate those friendships. And I would just, and my advice probably would be have, you know, like you have trim it down, keep, keep, uh, the, keep the good ones that are important. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Man, we've I've enjoyed talking to you. Appreciate you coming all this yeah. way. I know you flew out here to to do some media, and I'm glad that we were part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are huge fans of yours. You. Look forward to seeing you race in person in New Hampshire, and um, can't wait to see what you're going to do next. Wishing you all the success. Thank you guys. Um, so you got a lot of folks in your corner, and we're some of them. Mm-hmm. Means for, a lot. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Thanks for coming out. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You got it. <laughs> Packing your toiletries somehow always involves a delicate game of stacking and space hacking. That is so true. It's weird. You're trying to fit all that stuff into that little bag, and it barely fits. Mine doesn't fit. And don't get us started on lotion exploding all over the place inside your bag. I don't have that problem. I've, I've, I've had that happen. Really? Yeah. yeah Do you never have? No, yeah. I carry my bag with me in the compartment that I'm in. So oh. I, oh. you know, it doesn't subject itself no. to any kind of Gosh, uh, pressure. But that's you know that's not a problem if you got quit. 
Quip is the electric toothbrush, and it works just as well at home as it does on the go. The compact and wireless design tucks easily into the corner of your carry-on or your back pocket. Hey, if you want to carry it around <laughs> back there, you're spending the night somewhere. Shady. The multi-use cover works as a stand, and it can mount to your mirror. It's awesome. Sounds pretty awesome. Quip's three-month battery life will last through a season filled with weekends away. I know all that. Because, you know, I got one. I'm on the road. I'm with NASCAR doing NBC stuff. And uh, the Quip comes in handy. That battery life is important. I don't, I don't, you know, who, who remembers to bring the charger every time? Nobody. Three set months it on the charger. Yeah. I'm not setting that thing on the charger every time. No. You see, Quip, they got a built-in two-minute timer that pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides and help you clean your mouth evenly every time. Why is that important? Because up to 90% of us don't brush our teeth the right way. We don't use the full two minutes. We don't clean evenly, Kelly. Brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule of three months for just $5. A lot of people... That's all $5 for brush heads? Wow. Ain't you got that friend that's got that toothbrush that's wore the hell out? This is the things are split. <laughs> yes, like, yeah. and the colors all gone. You know, the bristles are all different colors, and then now that's all wore out. A friendly reminder of when to change them from Quip. They're gonna send them to you every three months. That's why I love Quip. They're always taking care of me, and that's why I'm taking it on the NASCAR road now that I'm traveling every weekend doing the booth work for NBC. Dillner, he just got his Quip. What do you think, Dillner? Uh, one weekend, I I feel like my teeth look like Mike Davis. Let me let me see. Oh my goodness! Oh wow, it's impressive. Is that a good thing or a yeah? Bad Mike thing? Davis has the best <laughs> teeth on the teeth. east teeth. side of the yeah. Mississippi. I've yeah. never looked at Mike's teeth. Quip starts at How just twenty five. How can you miss him? What are you kidding? You me? never looked at Mike's teeth. I mean, the guy, it's like a billboard. Really. For it's like I, see, it's, it's I more, never look at people's teeth. It's not that you look at his teeth. It's like they look at you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he smiles and they are like, "Hey, look out, man! What's going on, Bill? How are you doing?" We're gonna use Mike up now that he's on you vacation. Say, you walk in the room and say, "What's up, Mike?" And then you say hi to his teeth. <laughs> How you doing? Quip starts at just twenty five dollars, and if you go to getquip.com slash Dale Jr. right now, you can get your first refill for free. That's your first refill pack for free at G E T Q U I P dot com slash Dale Jr. All right, it's time for Valvoline DIY. Um, so, Dale, you've got two race car restoration That's projects right. going on. Uh, they're out here in the shop at Junior Motorsports. Uh, the guys are working on them. Want to give us an update on where you are with those and, and what's happening? Yeah, the, the uh, number eight Bush car is awesome. <laughs> stripped down. It says on this page you're number three. It's number eight. Did it say number three? Yeah, you yeah, got it down. Is, yeah. Remember, I told you to blame. Got to know your history. It's okay. You got a lot of stuff to He'll, put together, Dillner. It's all right. I just I'll give like you a to little give grace. Dillard. I just like He'll to give find Dillard. It. I, I just like him to give him a hard time. I know, but I like to give people grace. So you give <laughs> the right. hard time, and I'll give him grace. Good well, balance. Uncle Robert, who helped build this original number eight Bush car, is back there in the fab shop working on that car. It is stripped down. It's been sandblasted. We're documenting the process. Uh, the whole whole company here is sort what of pitching in. What about the seat? You were really excited about that. Oh, uh, oh Corey LaJoy sent me a picture of the seat that he's building for this car, and it looks like the real thing. Very cool. He is very proud of it. I'm a little nervous on how much he's going to charge me. <laughs> but that's, a, that's a replica Banjo Matthews? Absolutely. Yeah. Replica, yeah. Repl- replica <laughs> Banjo Matthews seat. 
The Osterlin number two Monte Carlo from 1980 is decaled. I sent a a few pictures on my social media out about that. A lot of fans can see it in the shop when they come over here to visit Junior Motorsports. It's right next to where the fans can stand and look into the shop area. Um, And we're going through the hubs and drivetrain on that car to make sure that that all is safe. So it's uh, those processes. Safe as in what are you going to do with it? Um, we're going to enter it in a, uh, race. Some kind of race? No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I want to do with both of these cars, people have asked me that, what are we going to do with them? Well, I'm going to keep them, right? I'm going to store them. I'm going to keep them clean. I'm going to crank them. I'm going to drive them around to keep the, you know, keep everything working. Make sure the brakes are right and everything. But what I'd love to do is, uh, for years, uh, down the road is to be able to take these cars to Darlington or to Daytona for the 500 oh, and set them, cool. oh, you know, yeah. put them out display. and let people display them. Yeah. And let people see them, uh, take them around the track, uh, at the, you know, in front of the field, maybe <laughs> if I get, a, if I get an invite for that. I don't know, but, uh, I just want people to appreciate them as much yeah. as we have. We're going to put a lot into them and I definitely don't want to put them under lock and key. So very cool. Yeah. The stickers are all on that thing. And man, it, it has come to life. It, it looks, looks beautiful. The, the Monte Carlo number two is decaled exactly the way it ran its last race. I'm talking about we we looked at picture after picture after picture, and I placed every decal is exactly in the right position that I could. Um, Jordan Erickson, who works here at Junior Merch Sports, has helped me a ton. He's even had to hand draw a few of those. He, he did have to yeah. hand draw a yeah. lot, and yeah. they look identical to the real thing. So. Very cool. Very thankful. From high mileage rods that need that thick anti-wear film to newer engines that have carbon buildup, head over to Valvoline.com backslash Dale to find the product spec for your engine. We're live for Ash Jr. Oh, we got live Ash Jr. We have music. Wow. That's impressive. Hi. (laughs) Ash Jr. Live. Thanks for everybody for tuning in on our YouTube channel, Dirty Moo Media. Make sure you follow all of our social media handles, Dirty Moo Media on Twitter and Instagram. Um, Facebook and YouTube. Facebook and YouTube. Thank you. <laughs> this Social, is, she's going to step in. This Ask Junior, presented by our friends at Nationwide. They're on your side. And uh, I'm sure we've got some great questions to get started today. We do. Um, let's start with a question um, that came up after we announced that Haley was on our show. Yep. Uh, John Duncan, given that Haley and mo- millennial drivers are the sport- sport's future, yet NASCAR wants to appeal to its traditional fans, some may call them old school, yeah. what do you want to see from young drivers to keep traditional fans engaged? Well, um, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't know, you know, I don't know why an individual, I don't know why you might get connected to a driver or an athlete maybe they're from same state as you maybe they go to maybe they went to the college that you liked or whatever maybe it's some some similarity in hobbies or what what have you but I kind of put it like this like the 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 drivers have to be able to showcase who they are they got to go out there they you know just going to the racetrack and driving and and putting your helmet on and going out there and winning isn't enough Um, in the world today with social media and all the abilities and, and avenues to be able to connect to fans and activate and showcase your personality, drivers have to always constantly be doing that. And uh, I guess today, Haley Diggin, she's a great example. She, uh, she's active on social media. She's showing you what she's uh, interested in and what she's doing during her week. I think that's the one thing that, 
you know, when I was going, when I was racing, people wanted to know what you were doing on Monday. What was Tuesday like? What's your Wednesday like? They see you at the track. They see you racing. They see those things. That's well documented. They want to see more. They want to see behind the scenes, you know, and they want to know really what you like and don't like. They want to see the human side of you, the mistakes, the flaws. To be able to open up is really critical for a lot of these drivers uh, today. And there's no better place and platform than on social media to do that. And, you know, you got to be open and willing to come on this show, do podcasts, uh, do all kinds of media opportunities when presented them. You gotta be willing to do that work. Get up in the morning and 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 call into those radio shows and uh, just continue to market yourself and brand. You know, Kelly, you're very uh, aware of how important that is as a as a race team owner. Uh, you manage and juggle a lot of different driver personalities. Um, what what works and doesn't work? Well, I was thinking about the question. You know, in terms of bridging that gap but and the first thing that comes to my mind is just be authentic right. be who be yourself. you are be yes. yourself and uh, you know like you said you there's still you you may have to step out of your comfort zone a little to do some things that maybe you're not comfortable doing but um, as a driver I mean people just need to be themselves and and not try to be anything yeah. that they're not and I think that'll connect I think like that, you said yeah I think that also some of the fans the old school fans can see some see some attributes in these young drivers that remind them of Kale Yarborough or whoever. I mean, just, I'm just picking names like Dale Earnhardt or whatever, but mm-hmm. like that's when I was racing or, you know, you always got, you know, boy, Matt Kenseth, he reminds me of Bobby Allison or whatever it was, you know, everybody would always pick a young guy and go, he reminds me of this old guy. Well, I mean, that's going to happen today with these young kids that are coming in. They're going to, some of them are going to remind you of somebody and going to connect you to that driver because they're like the, you know, they're like the veteran driver that you've always pulled for. And so that, but it's up to the drivers to be able to, to, to give you that opportunity to see it. You know, the drivers, the, the rate, the young guys, it's so frustrating. The young guys that are great, but you only see them on the racetrack. You don't see them anywhere else. It's so frustrating because you want you, you want to know more about them. You want to know who they are. Uh, you want to know that you know they're great and they're fun and they're they're funny and 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 all that. But if you don't see it, you don't know it, and it's hard to pull for them. It's hard to it's hard to become a fan of theirs. To be honest, yeah, that's the frustrating part I think in our sport. We're getting a lot of questions about um, Alex Bowman's win. And we oh, talked yeah. about that earlier, but um, Grothaus wants to know, have you ever gotten a car stuck during a burnout? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we were just talking about it on Twitter the other day. The uh, We won an Xfinity race in that pink Menards car mm-hmm. at Daytona in uh, July one year. And I think I either broke the transmission or high-sided the car oh. on the apron. And... Uh, yeah, I can't remember what happened there, but I did a little burnout, and I think I might have high-sided the nose on the on – because the, I was kind of on the apron and the racetrack at the same time. So that was stuck. <laughs> Whether it was the broke transmission, I'm not, I don't remember. But that was funny. And, and, and the, so the reason why Alex is so easy to like is because he got out of there and owned it. Yeah. And was so cavalier and and <laughs> casual about yep. it. I'm the stupid guy that got the car yeah. stuck in a burnout. <laughs> <That's great>. like, <laughs> who, yeah, like in the middle of one of the biggest days of his life, you still saw his authentic self. That was amazing. Sometimes when we get put in front of a big crowd or put on a big stage, we lock up, we we close up, we clam up. 
you know, and you don't, and you get down from that stage and you go, darn, man, I didn't, you know, I wasn't myself. Or I, sh- you know, I didn't talk or I shut up and I clammed, I locked up. But man, it was his off, that's who he is. That's his, his, his sense of humor uh, is one of the things I appreciate about him the most. He tweeted. Uh, <laughs> I was getting ready to bring that <laughs> up. Yeah, this morning. He goes, he, you know, he led 88 laps to win the race at Chicago. He reached 88,000 Twitter followers Whoa, this morning, awesome. and he woke up wondering if he might have drank 88 beers last night. <laughs> <laughs> He's still going. He has not been to sleep yet. Oh he my hasn't. Good I text him. some. That's I got Dale up Jr. this morning at 6.30, and I text. We, we have a group text with the 2017 number 88 cup team, and Alex is in there. And... Um, we, uh, I was congratulating some of the guys that are on that team, and I reached out this morning to them, and I said, are y'all still going after it? And I think Greg guys had just pulled into his driveway. Oh, my gosh. Um, so oh. they went after it pretty hard last night. Uh, good for them. They should. Yeah. Yep. I, I, was, I had to go home and get in bed and, and get up this morning to, to come to the podcast. Um, I'll try to catch them on the next one. Uh, Colby Rohan wants to know who has the high score on the pinball machine over there. Uh-huh. So the pinball machine is that a legit question, or did you work that? No, no, right, it's crazy. legit. Because that pinball machine, I've been dying to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> we even moved it so you could you talk can about see it. it. Yeah. So the pinball machine, and Kelly, uh, Kelly's probably got some great stories about this. That's a Comet pinball machine, and it's from the eighties. I believe it's from nineteen eighty four ish. Um. We, me and Kelly, uh, when we lived with Dad on the lake, there was a there's a pool table downstairs in this sort of living room area. We one one night we come one night this uh, we get home or get home from school or whatever, and there's a Comet pinball machine down there. And I'll be damned if Dad didn't play that machine at every single opportunity. That's so funny. Every yeah. night, over and over and over, hours of playing this thing, and I he got. He got good at it. Like, he would play in every game. He was, like, close to his high score. And he had all the high scores. It it keeps, like, four high scores on there, like a typical pinball machine. And he had them all on there. And it was, like, three million or some stuff was – I can't remember the number that that was a high score. And he was forever trying to beat his own high score. And he finally did one night, and he's screaming and cheering and jumping up and down the house. There's this one little – uh, there's this there's this one little thing that you activate while you're playing the game that gives you a chance to to get a million points if you can a jump million. the ball. Really? You remember? Yeah, a million. It That's would, what it says. It keeps saying that over a again. A million. <laughs> the whole time that yeah. you had the opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> I can hear every sound that that yeah. pinball machine makes so in my head. <laughs> the, it's called the Comet, and the theme of it is a, a carnival sort roller of coaster roller thing. coaster yep. theme, and you're playing in a carnival. Yeah. And atmosphere. Has the ducks that go back and your ball goes. Yeah, where it's like shooting the ducks. ducks. (laughs) And then it has the dunk dunk tank with the dummy in there. And and the guy's going, hey, dummy, dunk me, dunk me. Hey, dummy, (laughs) hey, dummy, dunk me. And you got to hit him with the ball. And he, ah, he flashed. And when you go down the roller coaster, it has the people's, you know, sound. Yeah, cheering and carrying on. like you're going to the you know, down the road. But Dad sure. played this out. <laughs> well, Dad played it for hours, and we just, just stand. Everything. The the sad thing about it was is like we're, we're like 
hey, cool, we're hanging out with dad, but all we were doing was watching him play pinball. <laughs> and he'd probably pick on you for playing video games. We would sit there and watch him play pinball, and he literally played for an hour or two every night, and we would stand there and watch. We would just die to play it. Yeah. Yeah. So we have it in here. I've had that thing in all over the property, but it's, uh, yeah, pretty cool. So that's a pinball machine story. All right, guys, that's all we have time for today. Well, that's a shame. Those are some great <laughs> questions. You didn't want that one to end. That was fun. Yeah, thank you uh, for tuning in. Uh, Mike Davis will be back, but Kelly, thank you for being a co-host. It was fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, Ask Junior, presented by Nationwide. Thank you guys for, for tuning in. Keep coming, bud. White flag, bud. White flag right there. White flag. All right, white flag. Uh, Dale, have you ever apologized for something publicly? All the time. All the time. Yeah. Well, rate and review on Apple Podcasts. We have a public apology for you here. Okay. okay. Uh, weekend Money, I guess uh, the play on Sunday Money is the guy's screen handle. He said, awesome show, awesome get, awesome guest, awesome hosts. Became a filter co- time customer and a pristine auction watcher nice. because of it. That's awesome. Became a fan of Junior at the Spring Martinsville race in 2006. Awesome comeback that day. I became frustrated for uh, with Junior for some reason, though, that he can't remember. And then he would go on to comment mean things on social media. And uh, he thought you lost your edge. So he's really throwing some shade at you on social. Once he announced his retirement, he said, I became saddened by my actions and overcame with regret. I belittled one, if not the best spokesperson for the sport I love so much. I was excited when he took over the job at NBC. And I uh, love that the fans can hear his passion and excitement every race now. I got a copy of the book, Racing to the Finish, and now I've really started to understand his struggles. I related to the story and can feel the pain. Dale's an honorable dude and a huge asset to not just NASCAR, but motorsports as a whole. Thank you, Dale, for your passion, love, and stories of the sport. Sincerely, an apologetic and grateful fan. Man, are all the reviews this good? Are they all like this? That's pretty, I need to go read. To apologize. Yeah, I know. I need to go read these reviews more often <laughs> for some self satisfaction. Just to make you feel good. <laughs> <laughs> all right, JD Ray ninety nine. Uh, we love these Apple Podcast reviews, so keep them coming, folks. Uh, so good, I listened to Pagano twice. Wow. Uh, all right, what there a, you that's go. a compliment. Uh, the questions were great. The follow ups were perfect. Dale, you've been working on that, and your interview skills are, are, are definitely have improved in the year Thank and you. a half we've worked together. Thank you. Uh, Dale read my mind, asking Simon to expand on some of his answers. Loved Simon describing racing in the wet. Side note I was in a work meeting describing an impact test using a slide fixture and spontaneously shouted out, Slide job! <laughs> Nobody got it. And I quickly moved on. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, keep those Apple Podcast reviews coming. We love them. Uh, heads up, tune in. Uh, there's a very special NBC Sports uh, NASCAR America Live from Daytona, 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So make sure you look out for that. Of course, watch the Dale Jr. Download on TV on NBC Sports Network, 5 p.m. Eastern this week um, on Tuesday in the re-air which uh, you got to love those re-airs. You like that re-air, Dale? I'm thrilled that we're re-airing. Well, it'll be Wednesday, 11 p.m., so for all your late-night people, if you miss it, you can catch it then. Uh, Our re-air last week did better than the first run. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good news, I guess. <laughs> well, a lot of people were watching TV that hour. Yeah, there you go. Well, finally, uh, July 8th is something really big. It's my wife's birthday. Aww. but <laughs> That's not a really a white flag item, but where I'm taking her will be. Because I'm bringing her to go see Crowder play live at Whiskey River in Charlotte, July 9th, 7.30 p.m. I've been to a few Crowder concerts, and they are freaking awesome. 
Um, you know, I met him actually in the TV compound yep. in Charlotte a few years ago. He's a great dude. The concert benefits the Dale Jr. Foundation and, of course, Motor Racing Outreach. So if you want tickets, you still got time. MRO, give them a call, 704-455-3838 to purchase tickets. And uh, one last thing, sitting next to me is the social queen. Make sure you hit up Dirty Mo Media on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, MySpace, whatever. That, we have <laughs> no a MySpace, MySpace. yet? No, we should no, get a MySpace. No, 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 uh, and YouTube. Uh, and yeah. I have so enough da- on my plate. No, no, you don't want a MySpace. <laughs> I don't want a MySpace. <laughs> All right, Dale Jr., uh, Hit us in the face with uh, some odd history. Okay. On. on July 4th, 1954, the NASCAR Grand National Series was racing at Asheville Weaver Speedway in North Carolina. It's a half-mile dirt track, and qualifying track promoter John Littlejohn. Joe Littlejohn. Sorry. Joe Littlejohn, yep. That would have been better. John <laughs> Littlejohn got permission from NASCAR to ride in the passenger seat of Herb Thomas's famed Hudson Hornet. Despite the added weight of the South Carolina native on the right side of the 54 Hornet, Thomas broke the track record and won the pole. <laughs> it remains the only time a NASCAR Cup car qualified with two people in it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's crazy. Thomas's number 92, minus its passenger, went on to win the 200-lap event and score his 38th career NASCAR victory. Crazy because this went down in the midst of the glory days of Thomas and the Hudson Hornet, which included back-to-back 12-win season. A passenger. That's, That's pretty awesome. You ever have a passenger in your car, like on a test or anything? You ever do something stupid? You hear old stories from back in the 70s yep. and 80s of people doing dumb stuff like that. Can't. Can't say I have. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoy pristineauction.com. Man, they've been a part of this show a while. They've involved us on a few different levels. Pristine is an authentic sports memorabilia website where you can get uh, some cool stuff. You can bid. And win without going to the auction house, which that's nice. You can be at home listening to this show, sitting on the couch, bidding on great items. <laughs> You're not going to listen to the show and bid? Do you listen to podcasts sitting on your couch? People listen to podcasts driving to work. Yeah, which I'm not going to bid while I'm driving. No. I know, but no. who, if your ass is at home. If I didn't have a wife and kids, Sitting on your I couch, would. you better not be listening to a damn podcast. Why not? Why? You could do it on your no. TV now, man. No. What, are you going to watch TV? What, are you going to listen to a podcast on your TV? What the, whatever. What the hell, my, Matthew? You. Come on. Well, wherever the heck you're uh, listening to the podcast. Yeah, you mowing your yard. Yeah, there you go. The great thing about Pulling podcasts weeds. is it kind of makes bad experiences go by fast. All right, so you do it when you're driving a long time, or <laughs> Stuck yeah, at 77 at the dentist. Yeah, sitting in that dentist chair. Try Pristine's daily auctions. They also have this 10-minute auction I like because it's fast, and I feel like that I'm the only one bidding on this stuff. And the 10-minute auctions, I'm like, yeah, I'm got everybody sleeping. I'm gonna get this for free, <laughs> but that, that's impossible because they all start at one dollar, <laughs> which hey, they're good deals. And you know what? That reminds me. We got our gloves program. We need to start that bid low. This is a lesson from Pristine. We'll, we need, we'll we need talk to start, about that. We need yep. to start our bids low like Pristine. We're Keeping it reasonable, that. ladies yep. and gentlemen. We know yep. these gloves are authentic. Yes. Yeah. The great thing about the items on Pristine is the authenticity. Uh, I've signed for them. I know they're legit. There's no fakes, no phonies. We see them on other sites. Fakes. Phonies. phonies. And that makes me angry. Not because somebody has faked my name, but I know that somebody's getting ripped off. You're not going to get ripped off on Pristine because everything is authentic. All right. Before the show, we spotted a Doug Williams, quarterback for the Redskins, 
won the Super Bowl. Autographed jersey. Bids are just 20 bucks for it. That's, that's a deal. That's yeah. A deal. So I'm telling you, man, everything on there is, is a reasonable price because it starts at a buck. We should take the, you know, take a page out of their book, Kelly. Check out pristineauction.com now. It's free to register, free to bid, and of course you only pay for the items you win. That's Pristine Auction, spelled P-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, auction.com. And when you register, be sure to select Dale Jr. Download Podcast from the drop-down menu in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That way they might keep sponsoring this show. <laughs> bid now and enjoy the week, everybody. This bit of badassery was made by Dirty Mo Media. Dirty Mo.